Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. I think we're back to normal on this Thursday morning. I did not have any issues at all. Commute in, maybe a little bit of a dusting on your car if you walk out there. But uh, you guys run into anything from a commute issue standpoint? No, it was like driving through a lot of puddles, though, right? I mean... It does have a glossy look. Yeah. It's a little dicey, but... We were back to normal basically by 5 o'clock yesterday. I I mean... Yeah, honestly, the worst was probably the commute home. I'll give credit to Wilkes because he said... 24 hours ago when we were talking to him he's like look man th- this is like right on the teetering on the edge it's either going to be boom or bust thank goodness it was bust yeah and i think from a cancellation standpoint delays were pretty much done with that good thursday morning to you kevin bowen jake query and mark dykton uh the pacers jake have now gone a month without a road win and indiana should feel very fortunate to wake up this morning with a road win yeah i'll Let's begin with Indiana University, that is, IU. Two ways to look at it, I realize. And one of them would be, hey, you take any win you can get on the road in the Big Ten. I get that. But it's a credit to the way that Indiana has played lately that you don't necessarily look at it as settling for that and instead saying, thank goodness they avoided what would have been a really bad loss. Minnesota's not very good. They're not playing well. Half their fans weren't there, checked out. I think half their players weren't there either. They had more guys in jumpsuits than they did wearing, yeah. you know, warm-ups on the bench there. But once again, Trace Jackson Davis uh, basically bailed Indiana out. And the key for Indiana, as we talked about, you know what you're going to get from Trace Jackson Davis night in and night out, which is an outstanding all-around game. It's a matter of who is going to then rise up to help him, right? And, you know, last night during the game, a buddy of mine sent me a text that was so true that said, Trace Jackson Davis at some point has got to be like, can I get a little help here, please? Somebody? Anybody? He's got a lot of limestone he's carrying on his back right now. Yeah. He did get some good... You know, Malik Renew played pretty well in the first half and then kind of... I'm not sure why he didn't play in the second half. Yeah, couldn't get back on the floor for whatever reason. Um, The other thing, too, for Indiana, Kevin... I mean, it would seem as though the book's out on him, but why would every team not just say, okay, we're, we're just going to go to a zone against these right. guys? You kind of have some stubbornness in the Big Ten, I think, with coaches and committing to that fully. But Minnesota, and I think that was more to do with just saving bodies last night. Again, they were missing like seven dudes. Um, so I think that was a big reason why. Certainly some front court depth issues that played into it. Um, so yeah, how you handle zone offense, and then just... You know, frankly, perimeter shooting. You know, we saw Tamar Bates and Trey Galloway shoot the hell out of it inside of Assembly Hall over the weekend last night. I think they combined to go like one of nine, and that's going to continue to be a question as the attention grows. Because what Trace Jackson Davis is doing, Jake, I mean, when's the last time an Indiana player's done what he's doing? I was right, hell, about when's that. the last time an NCAA player? Did you hear the Hummel comment that he made after the game? Trace Jackson Davis had 25 points. 21 rebounds and 6 blocks. I think Hummel mentioned the last 25, 20, and 5 game in college basketball was Hashim Thabit in 2009. Really? Not a great NBA player. 
thought him and Zach Eady are doing video game like stuff. Yeah, you're right. Um, I was thinking yesterday about Trace Jackson Davis's season and the level of dominance that he is putting forth. The the players that come to mind. DJ White comes to mind because DJ White was a really good player. That I think the fact that Indiana was not like the Cody Zeller, Yogi Ferrell level of competitiveness overshadowed what a phenomenal season he had. Allen Henderson in his senior year, statistically speaking, put together an incredibly versatile season. And then I look, quite frankly, at guys like even like a Steve Downing that played the majority of their career just in non-elite level championship seasons, which overshadow what they're doing. But it is impressive. From game in to game out, his reliability and consistency, I think, have been the biggest thing, Kevin. Not just the 20 and 20 type thing. But the fact that you know, I mean, he is correct in the fact that if he is not doubled and the ball is going into him, more often than not, he is going to find a way to make a play. And he's got to touch the ball every trip down the floor. I mean, there were a couple of moments last night in the second half where he didn't, and you saw the result on that. He had an offensive rebound put back with under a minute to go that gave Indiana the lead. They were down one. Race Thompson missed um, a free throw there. Kind of Karen really right to Trace Jackson Davis. He had the put back, and they were able to hold on from there. Scored the final seven points of the game, 61-57. Minnesota missed their final 10 shots. So, again, reality is it is a road win. You're 5-4 and four in the Big Ten for the first time. You're above 500 in the Big Ten for the first time all year. Uh, but you play like that against any other Big Ten team, and you're going to lose by double digits. I'm going to have you interpret something here. Kevin, you ready? Sure. I don't know why all of a sudden Josina Anderson, uh, who is, I believe, CBS Sports now. Is that right? Is she? She's no longer uh, with ESPN? I, I don't believe so. But but uh, she has taken great interest in the Colts coaching. So I mean, I don't mean that as a knock on her at all. I'm just saying that's not her normal beat is all I'm saying. She had this to say yesterday about the Colts coaching search. A little skeptical of old Josina, but I will uh, try and interpret as best I can. Put it this way. If the Colts make it to next Wednesday without internally finalizing their head, their choice at head coach, that tells me the balance of conversations are still steadfast in maintaining weight. Obviously, the final say is still Jim Mercedes, and that's his right. That seems very wordy to not really make a, a clear point, right? Yeah, again, I don't put a whole lot of stock into what she has to say, if I'm going to be totally honest. The old maintaining weight, is this? are we wrestling here? What are we... Yeah, she also said the following. Wasn't there a lot of dead weight for the Colts last year? She said, in Indy, I'm told Jim Mercy still has desires to hire Jeff Saturday, but some who work with the owner or have his ear while feeling Saturday is a great person are not in favor of him as a head coach per source. We'll see if the Colts make it through the list of expected second interviews. I don't think that that's anything groundbreaking. No, right? and I think oftentimes with the national reports, you get those sorts of things. And I also try to remind myself, like, you know, she is covering 32 teams. Right. So, no, you know, it. to her audience, there is probably a bit of a, I don't know, revelation to that. Um, there is one thing on the Jim Merce front, Jake, that I really hope he listens to and honestly probably listens to his general manager. When Chris Ballard entered this head coaching search, uh, he was very honest, I thought, 
early on and saying, what I didn't do in 2018 is I walked into that head coaching search and I had the end in sight. I wanted Josh McDaniels. And I wasn't going to... I didn't allow the other candidates to truly get my full attention, get my full ear, however you want to describe it. They only interviewed five candidates. Again, the Matt Rule one, I don't really think was much of a serious candidate. So Chris Bauer has walked in here and said, all right, I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to be very open-minded. I'm going to interview a lot of candidates, et cetera, et cetera. Jake, for Jim Irsay, you could argue that he already has the end in sight. And that would be Jeff Saturday. It feels that way, doesn't it? So he needs to walk into these second interviews, and it sounds like we're about to get underway with some of those. Jeff Saturday, Jero Vero, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn, those are the names over the next few days. Jim Irsay has got to make sure that he is open-minded. And if you want to get glass half full, if you're not in the hire of Jeff Saturday camp, Jake, I think it's actually a good thing that Jeff Saturday apparently is interviewing first of all these candidates. Yeah, he doesn't get the chance to come in and get the final impression type right. thing. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe I'm you know, overreacting. Maybe I've seen The Bachelor and Bachelorette too much in the background with my wife over the years that, you know, boy, that last impression... This and that, but I think when you have Ursay who's so emotionally charged, I think it's worth pointing out. Yesterday was quite the day for Jeff Saturday on social media, though. Did you uh, you catch some of the old, I can't believe there was a petition going around not to hire Jeff Saturday? Yeah, that's only been texted to me like 47 times. I, I don't know what people are expecting me to do, like send it out. I mean... Don't hire Jeff Saturday as head coach, the title says. And then under it, it says, to Jim. I, when they when I saw it said to Jim, I'm thinking, you probably should have said Mr. Ursay, right? <laughs> you know? That might not get to Jim's desk if it says Jim. Mr. Ursay, you have a chance to put it right in front of his face. To Jim, we as Colts fans will always love the memories of the Super Bowl team, but we don't want Jeff Saturday as head coach of the team, exclamation point. Hire someone with experience and save your fan base from revolting. The end. Mark, that's a nice story you could read to your girls. Yeah, I mean it'll be pretty short. An IA, now, can pages. I be the can I be the narrator of this? Sure, the audio book. Yeah. Last I saw is a sniffing around a thousand signatures. It's up to twelve eighty five. Twelve eighty five. Narrator's voice. This is all a ruse. The fans know they will never actually revolt. Because when it comes down to it, the temptation of tailgating, playing cornhole, barbecuing, drinking beer with their friends, and going to games on Sunday are way too much. And every owner in the National Football League knows that those threats are hollow. You'll never go away. You think Jim Irsay puts any stock into something like that? I, I from what I can, I was going to ask you the same. I like from what I can tell, and Jake, you've certainly been doing this a lot longer than I have. I. I I just can't recall this, and maybe it's social media, this amount of venom towards a candidate. Well, Kevin, this is what happens when, and yes, uh, narrator voice again, Jake moves in stage left and makes it very apparent he's old and crusty. It's going to be a long three hours, Mark. (laughs) Um, This is what happens, and social media is a big part of it, Kevin. This is what happens when you give fans the opportunity to feel like they have voice. When you turn your coaching search into a reality show of announcing step-by-step step everything that you're doing, and I appreciate the transparency. I do. 
And I'm not saying the Colts are at fault here, but what happens when you do that is you are, with each step and with each increase of transparency, you are subliminally telling people that they have involvement in this. And when you're doing, literally doing it like a, up next week, we'll announce the cutdowns again. Stay tuned. When you do that, then people are like, they literally think to themselves like, oh, this is a voting contest. To be this fair, is my chance to let people, to let them know. To be fair, they're not doing that. They're not like announcing, we have six people coming in next week. The Colts simply are putting out tweets that says, we've conducted an interview with Jeff Saturday. No, I, I, I get that. A lot but of them is agent-driven leaks to the NFL Network. Either ESPN. way, but what I'm saying is, to your point, Kevin, about the Josh McDaniels deal, right? And you're like, I think they hired like, or they, they interviewed like five people. And I don't know. And, and again, I get it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's the the world we live in. But even then, do you remember them saying like step by step what the process was? I believe it was the same sort of thing. Of we have interviewed Matt Nagy, we've interviewed Mike Rabel, we've interviewed Matt Rule, we've interviewed Josh. But McDaniels. then did they say like? And then next week we'll cut it down to seven or whatever but it was. I mean, again, not to get technical, but they're not saying that. That is Adam Schefter reporting that information. The Colts have been mum since the last initial interview came I just over okay the what I'm saying is this and I do I I think there's truth in both of us here you're right I think probably a lot of it comes from external areas I also think this I think there are people right now that are hearing my voice that agree with me in the fact that they're starting to find it a little exhausting sure and that they're like just just do something please but the longer it goes, the more people start to believe that that they have say in it and that their voice has push. I don't think it does, but the longer it goes, the more people are going to say, you know what? They haven't hired anybody yet, so like they must be waiting on something. Maybe it's fan input that they're waiting on. So I'm going to let them know what I think. I, I, I think that that is a possibility that that's exactly what's happening. Two and a half weeks into the offseason. Again, still have all five openings. It sounds like Frank Reich is a really serious candidate in Carolina. Um, so we can talk a little bit about that today. And then, you know, yesterday we had Stephen Holder on. Wanted to try and clarify the D'Amico Ryan situation. Again, he would be my favorite candidate. Um, the Colts cannot talk to D'Amico Ryans until the 49ers season is over. That's as simple as I can put it. There's a lot of complexities around that. There's a lot of rules that I would probably say I disagree with around that. But if the 49ers win on Sunday, that means they're obviously in the Super Bowl. That means you cannot talk to D'Amico Ryans till February 13th. So, for those in the Ryans camp, want to see the Colts get a chance to speak with them. And you like him, right? You need to be cheering for Nick Sirianni and the Eagles on Sunday. I am a fan of D'Amico Ryans. Uh, that was an awful first quarter last night for the Pacers. It was the most points they've allowed in a quarter all season Pretty bad season game long. overall, right? And I know some people were probably turned away at that point of the game. You know, maybe going over to IU. I think Xavier Yukon was a great finish. Uh, Miles Turner, kind of an awkward foot-ankle injury late in the game. Scott Agnes going to join us at 8.30. 
And I, yeah, it just looked looked weird. He didn't really like step on Markel Fultz's foot. He asked to come out right away. He stayed in for possession. Looked fine on the possession he stayed in for, and then came to the bench immediately. Take the shoe off. Go to the locker room. Obviously, any injury is something to note. And with Turner, a guy that's missed again half of the last two seasons due to foot injuries, it probably takes on a little bit more attention. Not to mention Jake. We're two weeks away from the trade deadline. So, again, another road loss, another poor start. They haven't won a road game in over a month. All of that kind of speaks for itself, but I would say Turner Injury Watch is where I'm at today. Uh, what about 7-win watch? Are you on that? What it, I 6, right? 6. Didn't they we, need, didn't we get did to Did they have 24? to exceed 30? 30, just 30, baby. Okay, hold on. I'm going to read off to you Something. 24 and what, 26? Is that what it is? I'm going to read off something to you here. You ready? Yeah. I'm gonna, we're going to do this in groups of five. If there is a guaranteed win, you say, just say, win, you know, stop me. Ready? Milwaukee at home, at Memphis, Lakers at home, Sacramento at home, Cleveland at home, at Miami. Any of those jump out? You said guaranteed win? Yeah. No. Okay. Phoenix at home, at yeah. Washington. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you Phoenix too. Uh, Utah at home, Chicago at home, Boston at home. Okay, the, those four. Would you say Phoenix, Washington, Utah, Chicago? Yep. Give me two of those. Okay. Uh, Boston at home, at Orlando, at Dallas, at San Antonio, at Chicago. Uh, give me two of those. Okay. Um, Philadelphia at home, Houston at home, back to back at Detroit. At, yeah. Boom, there you yeah. go. Boom, boom, boom. That, that that might be three in a row right there. Houston, Detroit, Detroit. Okay. That puts you at seven. And what date is that? That means that we are having our PBR party. The next day? This is perfect. This is perfect. March 16th, they're at Milwaukee. They're at Milwaukee. We'll just tie in the whole PBR thing, right? Look at that. <laughs> Get together to watch the Bucks game, drinking PBR, celebrating the big 30-win plateau. Uh, big one for Gary Harris last night. 8-9 from the field, season high, 22 points against the Pacers, did not miss a three-pointer. When you watch the Magic, Jake, I think a reminder that I have, and the Pacers, I just think from a roster standpoint, could grow in this area. The Pacers don't have a lot of tall, long dudes. Correct. Bull Bull? Well, <laughs> Bull Bull is obviously at one end of the spectrum, but even like uh, Franz Wagner. Yeah. Orlando has a lot of guys I with mean, Bon Caro is right? a tall, long dude. Uh I mean, I know Orlando probably is at one end of the spectrum, but Indiana just got smoked in that area last night of simply just not having enough length. Did you see that there is a team out there? By the way, as you'd mentioned, Scott Agnes is going to join us at 8.30 in the morning. Zach Kiefer at 9.05. 9.40, we'll go out to Denver, talk a little Broncos, and they're obviously in a similar search as Indianapolis when it comes to head coaches. So we'll get into that over the course of the morning. On this Thursday morning, good morning to you. Um, did you see there is a mystery team, a mystery team, kind of like the mask Singer, that has offered apparently multiple number ones for OG Ananobi to Toronto. I did, uh-huh. And there are people that are like, wait a minute, the Pacers have multiple number ones, right? Yeah, three of them, right? That's what the Yeah, because uh, the Pacers the have, they have their own, they have Boston's, and they have Cleveland's. And the Boston and Cleveland number ones, I mean, if you look at the standings right now, Boston number one in the East, Cleveland number five in the East. So, you know, you're you're looking at two picks that are going to be in the last 
the lower quartile of quartiles mm-hmm. of the first yes. round, right? Right. Uh-huh. I believe so. Uh, I'd be a fan of it. Every time I watch the Raptors play the Pacers, I think who in their right mind thought TJ Leaf was a better pick than OG Ananobi? <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned this before, probably 50 times. Apparently, retroactively, people at UCLA, TJ Leaf played with Lonzo Ball, and Lonzo Ball's dad, you know, LeVar Ball, was all over the place at that time. He was everywhere. And apparently, people at UCLA were like, no, 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 LeVar Ball was actually fine. And Lonzo Ball was a nice kid. Uh, TJ Leaf's dad was a complete pain in the backside. And TJ Leaf, when he was here, I don't think he was a bad guy. But the Pacers on multiple occasions were like, you should probably stay here for the summer and do workouts here. And I think maybe even like a a stint in the G League, they asked him at one time to do. And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm going to work out on my own. I'm going to do my own research. No, okay. Didn't work out. Yeah, probably not the smartest move by him. I know hindsight is very 2020 when it comes to these drafts and looking back on them, but I think everybody was clamoring for OG Ananobi over a TJ Leaf in that situation. But yeah, that would be interesting. But again, you talk about length, you talk about a wing. I mean, kind of that 3-4 area. That's where the Pacers, I think, need to continue to try and find an additional piece. Last night, Benedict Matherin uh, mentioned this leading into the, the game. I had a feeling that he would be circling this one, considering Paulo Boncaro and the heavy Rookie of the Year favorite he currently is in Vegas. Matherin with 26, Boncaro with 23. Um, the thing that I probably liked about Matherin the most last night I know Kristen Airy pointed this out. First time all season, he's been over 20 and three straight. But I like four assists and no turnovers. If you want to look at an area where Matherin can certainly grow, it's that sort of area where you know there's going to be tons and tons of defensive attention continually thrown at him. And if he can start to become a bit of a playmaker, which is shaky, certainly, um, that could be a huge step for him continuing to ascend as a player so Pacers lose last night 126-120 they never led you've got to go back to December 23rd for their last road win I mean when you when you uh, rattle off that schedule Jake when's their next road win boy here are their next road it's games at Memphis ready? right on Sunday they're at Memphis on Sunday probably their next road win at Washington on the 11th well at Miami on the 8th then at Washington. Well, they say it's the Miami flu game. You go out the night before in Miami. and <laughs> At Orlando, at Boston. Okay. So, at, so you say February. Uh, March 2nd, they're at San Antonio. They can get that. What was right? the Washington game? What date? February 11th. So they'll go potentially. So they, don't, they only have two road games between now and February 11th? Uh, three at Memphis. That's they're at Memphis loss. Sunday. What's that? That's a loss. Okay. Uh, then Wednesday, they're at Miami. And then Saturday, they're at Washington, the 11th of February. So you're looking at potentially December 23rd to February 11th, not getting a road win. Yeah. It's kind of wild. Watch them win at Memphis and stun the world. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Payback for the Morant dunk. That's right. Gosh, I forgot about that. Jalen Smith was trying to forget about that as well. We got a lot to recap on today's show. As we mentioned, Indiana survives against Minnesota last night. Um, Eight players, the Golden Gophers, dressed in that one. Trace Jackson Davis putting up just incredibly absurd numbers. And I was confused by, um, so they had the the assistant, Yasir Roseman, if I'm saying that correctly. He was filling in for Mike Woodson, who was out with COVID. Uh, I was a little confused by some comedy he had after the game about kissing ass with Trace Jackson Davis. Oh, we'll play that. We can break that down. It's a wonderful, very... I thought Robbie Hummel was Susie Colbert for a second. 
<laughs> struggling. Did you see our friend Zach Osterman Osterman? Indiana was struggling without uh, Trace Jackson. Did you see Zach Osterman's uh, hiccup yesterday? I saw he had some travel issues. Oh, I didn't know that. Actually, I didn't see that. I, I like Zach a lot. He, he wasn't he, able to get to the game. He posted a tweet when Indiana announced that Mike Woodson was out with COVID. Zach Osterman posted the tweet of just the press release, but he erroneously at the top attached Robbie Hummel's email. Oh, we <laughs> like just screenshotted emails. it. He just screenshotted the email. Got and it. So you could see at the top, it was like, and I won't oh, say boy. what the email address was, but you know, it was like Hummel Shooter Twenty One mm-hmm. sure. at Google dot com or whatever. Oh, this is awkward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boiler, you know, whatever is going to be emailing him and saying, "Hey, Robbie, you got my Correct. four year old birthday party coming this weekend. You." Uh, you doing anything? So Indiana survives that one coming up at Ohio, or excuse me, home to Ohio State on Saturday. Tonight it'll be Purdue back in action. They actually bust up to Ann Arbor on Tuesday to avoid the weather. Um, so it'll be Zach Eady and Hunter Dickinson as Purdue tries to continue their undefeated record on the road this season. A nine o'clock tip in that one. Purdue a five and a half point favorite. Good Thursday morning to you. As we mentioned, to lead off the show. Commute in, pretty status quo. Looks a little glossy on the roadways, but wasn't too bad at all. Maybe some light snow on your car on this Thursday morning. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton, 93.5-1075, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. So let's begin with college basketball. Last night up in Minneapolis, it was Indiana finding out before the game, of course, that Mike Woodson would not coach the game because he was going to stay back a little under the weather with COVID. And so as a result, the way that Woodson has set things out, and I don't know that a lot of people realize this, but assistant coaches usually are given the scouting responsibilities for the upcoming opponent, and that goes in rotation. Uh, Yael Rosemond, I hope I'm saying that correctly, who's an assistant for Indiana, was given the responsibility of scouting Minnesota, so therefore he became the coach that would stand on the sidelines as the interim or acting head coach with Woodson out. Indiana goes on a 7-0 run to end the game. Trace Jackson Davis, 25 points, 21 boards. Miller Kopp had 11 Malik Renault played well in the first half, 10 points. Then for whatever reason, I guess he went to Paisley Park in the second half and they couldn't find him. 61-57, Indiana gets the win. Afterwards, Robbie Hummel asked Roseman about the fine play of Trace Jackson Davis, and he went straight agent on him. Here we go. I tell people all the time, if you can find 25 to 30 people better than him in his NBA draft, hey, I'll kiss your ass. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Providence 79 58 over like Butler last night. Hummel just naturally backed up a step yeah. or two out of that one. The hell <laughs> were you thinking? It is a compliment, I guess, right? I, I, to yeah, to yeah, Trey Jackson Davis? Wouldn't it be the other way around? Like you <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh Northern Iowa 77 66 over Valpo. Kissing ass on a Thursday morning. I'm not offering that if I'm right about something. <laughs> if I'm ready to go there. <laughs> Belmont by 9 over Evansville and Purdue Fort Wayne 6 point winners last night over the now 3 and 19 IUPUI Jacks. Speaking of Purdue, they're back in action tonight. Thank you, Mark. In Ann Arbor, uh, they're trying to continue the undefeated road record that they have so far. I remember this matchup last year, Hunter Dickinson and Zach Eady. So Dickinson all of a sudden was just firing in threes in Mackey. So I'm curious to see if 
Um, you, you see an attempt of him to try to kind of bring Zach Eady away from the basket. Purdue, five and, or excuse me, a five and a half point road favorite in this one. Again, the only Big Ten team ranked this week, and they try to stretch their lead with a lot of jumbled three and four loss teams in the Big Ten. Jake, last night in Orlando, it was pretty ugly for the Pacers early. They gave up 46 in the first quarter, the most they've given up all season. Uh, Valiant comeback, almost per usual, it seems like. They got back into the game, never took the lead, though. Orlando just kind of staved them off down the stretch. Gary Harris, the HSC product, nearly perfect. 8-9 from the floor, season-high 22 points. He was perfect from behind the arc, 6-6. of But as I mentioned earlier, Miles Turner... Kind of an awkward landing late in the game. Thought he stepped on Markel Fultz's foot, but didn't actually when they looked at the replay. Um, right ankle, right foot, something along those lines. We'll have Scott Agnes on in about an hour to chat more about that. Um, so we'll keep an eye with the trade deadline two weeks away. But here was Rick Carlisle on the sluggish start. Our presence defensively was not where it needed to be. They hit us with a lot of shots, shot make, you know, a lot of made shots, drives to the basket. And we were on our heels. You know, the second night of the back-to-back is not an excuse because we've been good all year in those situations. We just gotta, we just gotta be better. Now, I've decided that I'm going to come up with a a new little game we're going to play. Okay, I'm a little nervous. We didn't discuss this before the show. I know. Uh, for folks that are unaware, Scott Johnston, our one of the producer extraordinaires here at uh, the Fan puts out and gives us like a score sheet of the games that happened the night before. And often it mentions a couple of statistical anecdotes from said games. There are so many players in the NBA that are such good, young, promising players. Or in the era of one and dones, so many guys that you're like, oh yeah, now I remember that guy. So each morning, I'm just going to pick a player, read you a stat line, but I, I want you guys to then tell me where he went to college. Okay. All right. Who do we got? Our first category in this fun game, and by the way, um, straight from high school is a possibility, okay? So the first that we will go with here is none other than uh, last night, a decent game, 16 points. Portland wins 134-124 over the Utah Jazz. Can you tell me for the Trailblazers, Anthony Simons? I think he was a, um, I'm going to go like G-leaguer. Okay, Mark? I think he went to IMG, if I remember, because my brother and I played mm. IMG's golf course, and that name stood out to me. He's good, by the way. I know, that's what I mean. Like like young players like this that are good players. Show's over at 10, Mark. Florida State. Okay. Uh, IMG Academy's correct. Wow. Bring it up to Kevin Bowen. Yeah, one for one on this exciting new game I'm playing that is captivating the listening confused. audience. Are you allowed to just go straight to the league? Well, you were then. He, he came out in 2018. Okay, he's been in the league for that long. Yeah. I, yes. The yeah, rule he, is... He's, he's a reason why they traded away C.J. McCollum. He, here's the thing. The rule is he actually went to high school, Edgewater High School in Orlando, and then went to IMG for a year. So the rule is that you you simply had to be... You have to be one year removed from your high school graduating class. So you can go to IMG Academy or you, you know Europe or whatever it may be, right? Uh, curious, Jake, what you think in Chris Ballard's eyes he cares more about, and I guess Jim Mercer's eyes as well, head coaching experience or offensive background? We'll get back into the Colts head coaching search coming up next here. Kevin Aquari, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Jake, you brought up the uh, great word that is quartile earlier in the show. Obviously, it's something we've mentioned quite a few times since Jim Mercer was so... 
You know, eloquent in pointing to his franchise being in the upper quartile since, what, the year 2000, I think was the year he went back to. I think if he were to live a little bit more in reality, uh, or present day, probably is the better phrase to use, uh, this is the eighth season the Colts have gone without hosting a home playoff game. And I was curious if you look back in that time span, obviously the Colts haven't won a division in that time frame. That's how you get to host a playoff game. They also only have one playoff win in that span, a wild card win on the road in Houston in that 2018 season. And I was curious, like, okay, how many NFL teams have accomplished those things in that time frame? Because again, I think that paints a much clearer picture of where you're at present day. You've had 23, Jake, of 32 NFL teams win a division in that span. So I know you're Man. Or, of course, brilliant in your math. Right. Um, I don't believe that's upper quartile, right? The that Colts is, would not no, fall into the upper quartile? That is not. Is that correct? Okay. That's correct. And then playoff wins. So teams that have won multiple playoff games, because, again, the Colts have won one. Uh, that would be 20 of 32 NFL teams. So uh, just to live in a little bit more present-day reality, the Colts are not in any sort of upper, upper quartile in where their franchise has been. And that, to me, is a lot more relevant because these are players, some that are still on your roster, you know, eras that still have players and coaches with their respective teams. And I bring that up because, again, that's a big question I have as the Colts get into the second round of interviews of how open-minded will Jim Mercer be? We all have half-assed things in our life. Um, for those that have handled any sort of interview process in your life, you've probably sat in there and said, this is a waste of my time that this candidate is in front of me. Will Jimmer say, be open-minded to Ajero Vero, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn, and any of the other names that come out of this weekend? Let me ask you this. I thought about this as well, Kevin. Those names that you just mentioned... And I will readily admit this may sound like that I am grasping at straws to find a negativity here. That's not the case. But it, it, and maybe there's a perceived presumption of something taking place that isn't. But Chris Ballard is doing this exhaustive search bringing in candidates, interviewing them, bringing some back for second interviews. Then in the second interviews, it's like, okay, now we want you to... And and I guess that's not uncommon. I mean, I've had that before where you go through some interviews and then they say, hey, we'd like like for you to come back and then have lunch with, you know... Well, Ursay. I mean, Ursay wasn't a part of the first round. Well, that's what I mean. So what I'm getting at is, you know, Ballard brings everybody in, then they come back for a second wave... But now you hear that, and this is absolutely their right. I'm not saying that, that that they're wrong in doing this, but if Chris Ballard is is conducting this search and he's the general manager and then he whittles it down to what he believes are the best candidates and then now Jim Irsay is going to be in, and if you are a candidate who's coming back for a second interview and you're talking to Ballard and now Jim Irsay's in – and then one of Jim Mercer's daughters, or maybe even two of them, are coming in. Is there the possibility that coaches that are coming in would say to themselves, this seems like a lot of chefs in the kitchen. Who would my boss be here? 
And are they all on the same page? Yeah, I, I think that latter part, like who would your boss be? Are you aligned with Chris Ballard in a timeline? Are you not aligned with him? Right. That would be probably a question I would have. And if you're Chris Ballard, would you not think to yourself, Chris Ballard has to be asking other GMs, like, is this what it's like where you are? Or do you do you have autonomy? Right. Uh, no, I think that's a very fair question. Uh, Jake, what do you think matters more to the Colts? Head coaching experience or offensive background? Uh, neither. Depends on who you're asking. Let's say Ursay. Leader of men, which is the most overused phrase. So you don't think he puts any stock into the final four coaches each of the last two years, all offensive background? You look at the final eight teams this year, seven of the eight offensive. Last year, six of the eight offensive background. I think Jim Ursay maybe maybe he's pivoted a bit from this. But my read on it, simply that, is that to Jim Ursay, his gut feel is the most important thing above and beyond anything else. How about Ballard? You think he falls on one side of the ledger? I think Ballard probably would prefer head coaching experience. Boy, yeah. that's a good question, though, in terms of you know, if you look at it, Jake, versus offensive experience, because if you look at some of the coaches that are, I mean, what do we talk about in the playoffs, right? It's guys that came from offensive backgrounds. And again, if you look at the Final Four, Andy Reid, right? The only one that was a retread. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just, you're trying to sift through these candidates. You're trying to find, you know, okay, what could they prefer here? I do think the one quality that they are certainly aligned on, and it's just naturally a 180 from Frank Reich, is just more of that public accountability, more of that demonstrative personality. And honestly, in a way, you're seeing that in Carolina make a 180. If they hire Frank Reich, Matt Rule is a much, much different background resume and I think even personality than Frank Reich. And I I just think that's what we see with hires, honestly, probably across all industries. But in particular, these specific ones. Um, I knew Frank Reich was the first quarterback in Panthers history. I didn't realize that the guy that caught the first touchdown has some immense Indiana I would have ties. guessed that the first quarterback... So did Frank Reich take the first snap of the first game in Panthers? Yeah, what well, would that have been, 96? I would have guessed Jack Trudeau did. I he, don't think Frank was the quarterback for very long. Because Trudeau was definitely on that roster. They might have mixed things up. So the guy you're saying the guy that caught Frank Reich's first pass in Carolina had Indianapolis connection? Uh, Indiana. Really a legend. Uh, was he in the twilight of his career? I I would think. So a player from the state of Indiana that played for the Carolina Panthers in the mid-90s and caught the first pass in Panther history. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, was that 95? I said 96. Might have been 95. Collegiate or high school connection? Hell, it might have been earlier than that. It might have been 94. Uh, college. Legend. Put up just massive numbers. Celebrating the 40th year anniversary this year. Of said massive numbers. Kristen Aries turning over in his grave at this. <laughs> uh, that would be Pete Metzelars. Pete Metzelars. I should have known that, actually. 
I, you know, Kevin, the, the, the coaching search thing, I want to get back to this as well because we kind of made light of it at the beginning of the show. For those that are unfamiliar or if you're just joining us, by the way, good morning to you. On a Thursday, looks like a pretty good start and your, your commute this morning are going to be very easy compared to yesterday. Road's wet, that's about it. Um, wasn't too slick. But with, with this coaching search and the petition about Jeff Saturday, somebody made a really good point because I was saying earlier that I felt like understandably like that fans feel like they have a voice here and that like this is you know kind of like in the Heisman voting it's like oh and you can also vote at nissan.com and whoever the fans pick is going to get one vote you know that kind of thing hell NBA all-star voting all of that right and it feels like that's that fans feel that they have that kind of an influence they've come up with this petition about Jeff Saturday and etc etc um, somebody pointed out to me on Twitter, look, Jake, fans started feeling like they had this sort of a power when they did a social media push about keeping Chuck Pagano, and it worked. Hashtag Chuck stay. Or how about two years ago, Jake, with T.Y. Hilton? Yeah. Wasn't that Jim Irsay sweetening the pot a little bit for T.Y.? Again, it's fascinating to me to see how Irsay will react to all of this. One last thing I would want to note on Reich. If he does get the head coaching job in Carolina, does he bring Gus Bradley? Does he try and bring Bubba Ventrone? Does he try and bring Reggie Wayne? Right. You know, just kind of curious some of those names the, with that. Um, and also, just does that start the domino? And I, I believe it's the only place that Frank is a legit candidate. I think maybe Arizona he interviewed. Um, so maybe it wouldn't start a big domino, but does the fact that one of the five finally get filled... Do we start to see the other teams have a little bit more? Here, here's the catch 22 that the Colts are kind of in here. Give me a name that you think they'll hire. Not named Jeff Saturday. Uh, Raheem Morris. Raheem Morris. So the Colts hire Raheem Morris. Jim Mercer sits up at the podium with Chris Ballard. When it comes to Jeff Saturday, what's the question that's going to be asked? On why they passed on Jeff Saturday. Someone's going to ask, hey, there was a lot of fan voice regarding Jeff Saturday, and there was a fan petition that the newspaper covered. Did that influence you in your decision to not hire Jeff Saturday? That's a total catch-22 for the Colts. Because yeah. if you don't they want to say discredit your fan base, bingo. Yeah, you don't want to say point. yeah. We don't care about the fans, but you also don't want to say we're an organization where fans have influence on our decisions. Jake, I'm getting tagged in tweets yesterday that people are tagging the VP of tickets for the Colts, saying you need to tweet at this person and say if they hire Jeff Saturday, we're not going to buy season tickets. I'm like, wow, we are going to some some extremes here. To make respective voices felt. Mention this to lead off the show, but worth bringing up again, I think. D'Amico Ryan's Jake, I think four of the five teams that have openings wanted interest in him. And when he made out his interview list, he had Denver and Houston before Indy and Arizona. He's going to end up in Houston. You know that, right? Yeah, I, I, that, that I think is, is the assumption. Uh, obviously, a former Texan, so he has some ties right, right. to playing um, there. 
But I remember saying to you, do you look at that in any way, shape, or form as that's how he ranks the jobs he would want? Is he ranking them as, in some order, Denver, Houston, Indy, Arizona? Or is it that the schedule allotted that? Sure, or just logistically, you know, whatever. Did they send the first Zoom links? Um, And now, looking back on it, it's mattered a whole lot. And this is a very technical rule, and I know we talked about it with Stephen Holder yesterday, but Stephen double-checked this with the league and looked it up. Because the Colts did not initially interview Ryan's, they cannot talk with him again until the 49er season is over. So if San Francisco wins on Sunday, you're not talking to him until February 13th. Now, the fact that they talked to Brian Callahan, the fact that they talked to Eric Bieniemy, the fact that they talked to Shane Steichen, the other three coaches coaching this weekend, they can have a second interview with those guys next week. Again, it, to me, it's a little bit stupid, a little bit complicated. It kind of seems to force them to accelerate guys and wedge them in if they think that they're still going to be alive. Does that make sense well, what I'm and saying? And especially the really coveted guys like Ryan's. Right, Basically, right. what you said to D'Amico Ryan's is you need to fit in four interviews in a very short amount of time if you want to have the chance to talk with them coming up next week if you're in the Super Bowl during that Super Bowl off week. And again, I understand why Ryan's would have had Denver and Houston above Indy, but I do think there's an element of this is a reflection of where you're at from a organ organizational standpoint of other jobs are more coveted than yours. My concern for the Colts, I mentioned this earlier, and I'm not saying that it's reality. So I'm not necessarily pointing right to them on this, but my concern is that, and maybe this is true, I don't know. I don't cover other franchises, so I'm not around it as closely. I covered the Rams when they transitioned from Dick Vermeil to Mike Martz, but they hired internally, and it was a different era. You didn't have social media and everything else. But my concern that I'll, I'll repeat from earlier is for coaching candidates, if you were wanting to go, for example, to somebody who has a lot of options, is Indianapolis an area or a place that they would – they're going to take – I mean, an NFL, there's only 32 of them. It's a great honor to be in, in the, the mix, and I can't imagine someone turning it down. But but are there candidates that will give pause about Indianapolis if given other options because of the perception that there are multiple people to which you'd have to answer? Totally fair question. And again, I understand D'Amico Ryan's line of thinking, but... I think that's something that, you know, maybe in Jim Harbaugh's case, maybe in Sean's Payton's, Sean Payton's case, it's not exactly the same, I think, for all these candidates. But Payton probably more than anybody because he was very public in saying ownership stability, front office, that's going to be such a critical element to me and what I, I want to pursue. I think that's a big knock on Indy. Again, I think from a draft pick, free agent, even a little bit of the roster standpoint, I don't think it's some dire, dire situation. But that element, I think, is something at play here. Did you like Dire Straits? Uh, meh. Mark? Not so much, no. Are they British or are they like from they're British, yeah. Are you sure they're British? Yep. You're positive? Mm-hmm. Formed in London in 1977. Did you know that off the top no, of your head? No, I just looked it up. 
I'm quick with the Google. Quickest machine. Google search I've ever seen. You know seen. what we do on this program, Mark? We educate and entertain. That's right, yeah. Jake. What? Uh, I like the sweatshirt. Oh, you do? Care to fill our audience in? This is what? What? I don't know what. You know, I don't. I'm trying to think of where I got this sweatshirt. I think in New York. But this sweatshirt is just a red sweatshirt. It's like something you get like at a hoop. You know the, the famous Michael Jordan poster from probably about 1988. I was going to say, was that Space Jam dunk contest nah, related? Th- this was dunk contest related, I think. But there's a famous poster of Michael Jordan where it just shows his wingspan. He's sitting with his arms out and he's palming two basketballs. I had that poster in my room. Yeah, it was a rectangular mm-hmm. poster, right? Yeah. Um, this sweatshirt that I have on today is strictly that poster. It's just the picture of Jordan. And I'm not like a... I mean, I have all the respect in the world for Michael Jordan as a performer. I was never a huge fan because I was a Pacer fan growing up. And, you know, I mean, however, the I will say, and I'm not an Air Jordan guy, but the shoes that he's wearing in the famous dunk contest in 88 where he takes off from the free throw line and does the leg kick outwards, those shoes, which are Jordan 3s, were those and a pair of Bo Jackson cross trainers were my two white whales. And I finally got both pair as an adult because my parents were not going to pay for them when i was a kid um and the air jordans i still have in the box because i'm like afraid to wear them sure now that i have them i just love let's go out and throw some snowballs in them yeah and the the bo jackson cross trainers uh are awesome and i've worn them i wore them to the guns and roses concert that i went to in las vegas because i wanted to and i with acid wash jeans because it was 1989 and i was partying like it but uh i mean I was partying like it was 1989. It was like six years ago. Uh, they're very uncomfortable. I don't know how Bo Jackson... The greatest feat of Bo Jackson as an ath- as an athlete is the fact that he apparently cross-trained in those things because they're terribly uncomfortable. But he had his inserts from the Good Feet store of Indiana, goodfeetindy.com. A couple of interesting texts I just got from uh, respective Colts fans. Imagining uh, Jim Mercer sitting there during the interviews and being like, great point, Jeff. Wow, yes, after everything he says. <laughs> That is terrific there. Uh, and then this one from Kirk. And again, I, you know, I, we'll see what happens in September with this. What happens, you know, is this just the vocal minority that you're hearing from? Uh, I've already decided not to renew tickets after 16 years. The organization is just a cluster. So it sounds like ticket renewals are normal as of now, but do in earnest here in about a month. We'll continue this conversation, get back into Indiana surviving last night at the barn and the Pacers have not won a road game in a month and potentially a very important injury to watch for them. Non-Tyrese Halliburton. We'll explain more coming up 8 o'clock hour. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton. Hi there, good morning to you. Somehow we mentioned Dire Straits a couple of minutes ago. I always kind of dug this. Somehow you brought it up. Well, I, I don't remember how we segued. I never know how we get to these things. <laughs> I feel like this is one of the more like popular commercial songs. Yeah, it also had a great music video. The music video was nothing but sports bloopers. Like family driving away in their car, waving at a neighbor or something. <laughs> Have a good day. So you guys were just saying, it's interesting, you were saying it with Dire Straits. You're like, I don't know that I know any song aside from Money for Nothing. Which is a totally fair comment, but they have, they're one of those bands that they have probably six to eight songs that you would be like, oh, of course I know this song. But no one's like a diehard fan of Dire Straits, right? They're like the Atlanta Falcons. 
Yeah, they're there. They're good. <laughs> but like, you never meet anybody. It's like, man, I mean, other than Zach Osterman. Yeah, we had Zach Osterman on. Um, Indiana last night, impressive in Minnesota down the stretch, closing on a 7 nothing run. But, you know, the other way to look at it is, boy, that would have been a really bad loss. So kudos to them for... Uh, eking it out. The play of the game was clearly Trace Jackson Davis with a putback off a missed free throw. Boy, that bounced perfectly to it him. It did. He was in perfect position. Uh, what, 25-20 and 20 for Trace Jackson Davis also becomes the all-time blocked shots leader in Indiana history. Yeah, past Jeff Newton. Um, yeah, I was surprised. Actually, you know what? When, I, when they said who it was, my first guess was I assumed it would have been Allen Henderson because he played four years, even though he missed part of his sophomore year. But um, it was Jeff Newton, and then third, I can't remember who was third. Uh, fourth was Uwe Blop. But Trace Jackson Davis continues to play. You made a good point earlier, Kevin. I, he's playing into the Big Ten Player of the Year is going to be Zach Eady or Trace Jackson Davis, right? Right. It's, it's you know, Eady is still the overwhelming favorite considering the team success and obviously Edie is still putting up absurd numbers but in any other conference we'd be talking about Trace Jackson Davis as the definite favorite and honestly he's playing his way into a first team All-American I mean it's crazy the numbers I mentioned it earlier Hashim Thabit the last guy to have a 25-20 and 5 game a five being blocks. Trace Jackson Davis, 25-21 and six blocks. I am curious this, Jake, outside of Trace. And I don't know, maybe the fact that you couldn't play off him last night plays into this. Like, as soon as the buzzer sounds, how many texts did you get of, you always take a Big Ten road win, never apologize for well, a Big Ten road win. I, my tweet was, you take any Big Ten road win, but man. So so do we ignore? They avoided what would have been a really bad loss. Do we ignore what happened in the 40 minutes? Do we ignore that? You know, okay, chalk it up to Mike Woodson not being on the sideline. Some very head-scratching substitution situations. Weren't able to do anything against the zone outside of Trace. Is all of it just sweep it under the rug and get ready for Ohio State Saturday night? Or is it Minnesota showed defensively that if Tamar Bates and Trey Galloway are not shooting like they did inside of Assembly Hall... Over the weekend, you zone up IU, I, and maybe you let Trace get his 25 or 30 and just try to clamp down because I thought Jalen Huchifino, um looked like a freshman at times with his decision-making last night. Let me read you the text. that. I, by the way, DJ White was the other player in blocks. DJ Thank you, Brian, White. that I was thinking of. Um, the text that I got last night during the game, why in the world doesn't every team just zone Indiana every game? Seriously. And that's... Or just constantly double trace. I think they don't... You know, who are the outside shooters that put the fear in you from running a zone and keeping the ball out of the middle? Just looking at their like last five or six games, Jake, obviously they shot at 60% from three against Michigan State. You know, outscored them by 15. Such a rare occurrence. If you look at the other four here recently, I think it's like... 28%, 33%, 12 and 28. So that's, again, a little bit more of the re- reality of how Indiana has shot it. Um, and I I am – will you just see teams either, again, double trace constantly or just zone Indiana? Probably the zone Indiana because I think there are some questions about – I mean, certainly Jalen Huchifino is a wonderful talent – 
but can he be your point guard for 40 minutes? Like, can he be that balance for him of running the show, facilitating for others, and carrying a scoring burden? That's a difficult thing to achieve. And I think you've seen some ups and downs from him since Xavier Johnson went down about a month ago. And and I thought of this as I was watching the game last night, Kevin. And maybe this is, a a matter of fact, it is a conversation for a later time. I, I understand that. But if you look at Indiana, and I know how thirsty Indiana fans are to get back to the glory years of being nationally and Big Ten competitive, not every three years, but literally every single year, right? I mean, for so long, like you take a look at Iowa. Iowa under Dr. Tom Davis or under George Raveling or, you know, what about to Fran an extent under Fran South McCaffrey. <laughs> Someone tweeted at us earlier, how about Billy Donovan to South Bend? That's not far. He could commute from where he's currently living, sure. probably. Yeah. But, you know, Iowa was a team that, you know, every three years you knew they'd have a senior-laden team and they'd be really darn good and competitive. And then other years, you know, they were rebuilding. Indiana doesn't want to be that. Indiana fans want to be. And I thought about this last night. And again, maybe it's a topic for another time. But if you look at this roster, Trace Jackson Davis, again, is play, is really having as good statistically a single season as we've seen in a long time. DJ White comes to mind. I mentioned earlier Allen Henderson's senior year comes to mind. But in, but in terms of multiple category level play, very high level. He may be back next year, quite frankly. But if no, he leaves... That's not what his coach sounded like last night. Yeah, I mean, if he leaves, then you look at that team last night... And it's that team without next year, Trace Jackson Davis, very possibly Jalen Hood Shafino. Miller Cup is a senior, right? Yeah, again, the eligibility with everybody. I yeah, I I mean him, Xavier Johnson, Race Thompson, they've all been in college for I, a long time. Race again, Thompson would be gone. Who's got so, the extra year? But but that that team where where is the they, they, I think they have one recruit coming in next year from Ohio, the kid from Ohio that's a pretty good player, apparently, but not a program-changing like player. Guard from Georgia, maybe? That's right. Yeah, you're right. They do have a, a top 100 player from, I think, Georgia. And that's it, though. I, I mean... You got to get something out of this year. Yeah. To that that's, point. That, that's, that's my... Yes, that exactly. You got to get something out because, again, there's no guarantee that Huchavino's going to be back. We've talked about Trace. And you really like the first half from... Malik Renew last night. I don't know where he was in the second half, um, but he's had more downs and ups in his freshman season there. So, yeah, I mean, you have to get something out of this year. Indiana will host Ohio State Saturday night, and, of course, a week from Saturday will be the first matchup with Purdue. Purdue at Michigan tonight. Hunter Dickinson and Zach Eady in that matchup. Jake, I, I don't know. Maybe it's PTSD, but... Boy, I hated seeing Miles Turner go down last night for many reasons. And who knows? Maybe it's a mild sprained ankle and it won't be anything. Anytime a guy immediately motions to the bench to be asked to come out, I don't think it was a contact injury. Like it was just kind of he stepped wrong and then takes his shoe off and walks to the locker room. Boy, it. I remember last year, his injury right before the trade deadline, I think is a big reason why Sabonis ended up being the one traded. Right. 
I don't th- if Turner doesn't get hurt, and I think he got hurt a little bit earlier in January. I think there was a good chance Sabonis doesn't get traded. Turner then probably gets traded, and you don't get Tyrese Halliburton or Buddy Hield. It, it is the timing. He still has trade value, though, right? I, I, I mean. Yeah, but depending on how long that injury Correct, is. because nobody's going to trade for... Mm-hmm. Oh, he's out till April or something. Yeah. You'd have to do a sign-in trade of some mm-hmm. sort, right? And again, do people look at his injury situation, considering he missed half of the last two years, and look at that and say, oh boy, I'm hesitant in what we're willing to give up for him, so... Uh, that'll be something to monitor. Uh, the Bucks coming up tomorrow night inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Milwaukee has Giannis and Chris Middleton back since their victory over Indiana last week and then at Memphis coming up on Sunday. The the Pacers themselves, first off, uh, for those that are just joining us, we, we already went over earlier. We've, we have targeted that it's going to be uh, – they're going to play in Milwaukee – the day before St. Patrick's Day, and that's when we think we're going to be celebrating the PBR party of your 30-win plateau, okay. right? Got it. It's uh, in the in the calendar. <laughs> so, what a perfect time of year to do it. Where do you go for St. Patrick's Day? I've ventured around downtown. You know, in college, I actually went to Dayton a couple times. It's a big St. Patrick's Day place. Really? Yeah, visited some buddies at Dayton. At University of Dayton? Correct, uh-huh. Now, does University of Dayton have like its own, is it a campus or is it just like a commuter school? No, it's got a, I mean, it's got a campus. I mean, it's in in the city, but uh, yeah, it was a it was a fun. I mean, it was a college time. It was, you know, oh here we are, uh, six buddies and one bathroom in the house. Yeah, just sleep over there. You'll be good. <laughs> That's what college is all about, sure. man. Are you kidding me? It's the best. But you when, know, usually St. Patrick's Day falls in some form of the tournament. I feel like. Yeah. Well, it used to be. You know, it was always a big deal when Notre Dame would get into the tournament, and if they played on St. Well, Patrick's Day, remember it was like, Mike Bray last night or last year when they won past midnight, and he goes, "It's officially St. Patrick's right. Day." I'm drinking some Jameson on the flight out to. They were flying to San Diego. That was their. That's right. After beating Rutgers and whatever it was, double overtime. So yeah, I, it, usually. Um, you know, it's fallen on some sort of uh, March Madness Day. But yeah, I mean, Raskeller, Golden Ace. I drove when, right after college, myself and two buddies, we drove to Seattle, okay? We just decided to get into, we had two weeks, and we're like, let's just do a road trip. We're 24 years old. Let's just road trip to Seattle. Actually, we didn't even decide to go to Seattle. Let's just road trip out west, go to national parks, and we ended up getting all the way, going all the way, you know, let's just keep going, and we got to Seattle. And by the way, it was fabulous. If you're listening and you've never been to Yellowstone or the Badlands or Mount Rushmore or any of the stuff out west, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho is amongst the most uh, beautiful, beautiful places I've ever seen. It was amazing. Pagano lives out in Idaho. Uh, out yeah, he lives in Boise, right? Yeah, I think they have, maybe have a lake house out in But Boy, Coeur d'Alene is just gorgeous. So we get to Seattle and, and we are you know 50 miles outside of seattle and we realized wait a minute where are we going to stay we don't have enough we've been camping everywhere so we're like we don't have money for a hotel in seattle so to your point kevin one of the guys in the car goes wait a minute freshman year at iu we had a guy on the dorm floor that i was buddies with that lives in seattle now because he's from there we can call him and just stay at his house okay great what's his name peter lee and that's l-i peter lee he's of asian descent well and and 
Seattle, that's like calling John Smith in New York City. Pre-cell phone days, we literally had to go to a gas station with a white pages payphone and start calling one by one every Peter Lee. We hit on like the sixth one, and the guy's like, yeah, sure, come on over. We stay with him for like three days, sleeping on the floor, crashing on the couch. Like, can you imagine? And there are people now, I'm 50, and I still have people that occasionally will ask if they can do that kind of thing. I'm like, what? I'll never forget being at the neighborhood pool and they had one of those pay phones and you know all these collect call commercials i feel like very popular when i was whatever how old was uh, 10 or 11 12 right. going to the mm-hmm. pool and i wanted my buddy steven esmond to come and so i called his father well i called his house and did a collect call and his father arnie picks up and little did I know, I just, you know, fifty because Arnie picked up because I had done the collect call. <laughs> right. He was irate at me <laughs> that I just made him pay for the collect call. He thought I was in trouble. Like, he thought oh, of I course. was, yeah, you, yeah. Know, in, you know, well, he, he thought I was in dire straits. I was checking to see if he was hanging. Yeah, I want to hang out. Good full circle there. Adult Swim just started. I wanted to make sure he showed up here for the 2 o'clock. We, we would do this, and, and I this, I think, was really common, and this would predate both you guys probably, but when I was in college and i would drive back to bloomington and back then you had long distance phone bills and so the the deal was i when i got back to bloomington you know my mom would say well give us a call to let us know you made it okay or if i was going to chicago for the weekend or whatever so you would call person to person collect and it was always to tom who was the family cat so I would call the operator and say, I'd like to make a person to person collect call to Tom from Jake. My mom or dad would answer and decline. I'm sorry, Tom's not here right now. Free call. Smart. But that was the code. Chess that yes, checkers right there. <laughs> we, is... I think that was actually that or I'd like to make a person to person collect call, please. Okay. Come pick me up on the wall. Exactly. How much how much can you fit in there yeah. in that uh five or ten seconds? Those are the days, man. Get Colts head coaching search updates on that. It seems like we've got four names for second interviews. Um Jeff Saturday, Raheem Morris, Jero Avero, and then I think it was reported Dan Quinn on Saturday. We're going to get more into Avero coming up later in the show. Um, what are we going with? Cosmiter? Cosmiter? Cosmiter is how I would. Cosmiter. Nick Cosmiter uh, covers the Broncos for the Athletic. Um, talk a little bit more about Avero on that front. Um, and then, as I was saying earlier, if you look at the name or the number, I should say, that Adam Schefter mentioned yesterday of seven candidates for these second interviews, just mentioned four names, Saturday, Avero, Morris, Quinn. If you're rounding that group out to seven, I would think some of them could come from this weekend's games. You know, Would that be Brian Callahan, the OC with Cincinnati? Again, Shane Steich in Philly, Eric Bieniemy, Kansas City. Uh, those are the names, I think, to keep an eye on. It's... um. It's going to be interesting to see with Ryan's, as you'd mentioned. You know how long are you willing to wait? And, and Kevin, you like I said, the freak out of the Colts are waiting until February thirteenth to talk well, to him for the. For the first that would time. mean that he is their target, right? I mean, there would be no other reason to wait that long for D'Amico Ryan's. If San Francisco wins and goes to the Super Bowl, then you cannot talk to him until after the Super Bowl. And if they wait that long, then if you're any other candidate, aren't you saying like? And I get it. There are some candidates that it's like, look, you have all the leverage if you're the Colts. Because where are these guys going to go? Some of them. But still. And do we get to any dominoes? Again, we mentioned Frank Reich, Steve Wilkes. Sounds like those are emerging a bit in Carolina. 
Um, I know people in Houston feel like D'Amico Ryan's you know, could be the favorite there. They've talked to him already, so no matter what happens on Sunday, they can speak with Ryan's next week. The fact that the Colts did not initially interview him, and again, I'm not blaming the Colts for this. You know, Part of it is Ryan's own doing and how he kind of views these openings, uh, but that is why uh, they cannot speak with him until San Francisco's season And Scott Agnes coming up in about 10 minutes. We'll talk more. Miles Turner injury. And uh, just in general, the Pacers losing their eighth straight on the road. Uh, And we can lead off with the morning check down with that. Oh. Hello. You have a collect call from. Everybody don't say no. (laughs) (laughs) The morning check down brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. God rest Mr. Esmond's soul, but man, I'll never forget calling him. Can Steven come swimming? <laughs> Kevin, don't ever do this. I just, I thought you were in, you know, whatever. Oh, Buck 50. Buck 50. There goes I my... Uh, a partner in Marco Polo. <laughs> there goes my fun dip I was going to buy during the next adult swim right down the drain. Uh, Indiana last night, 61-57 over Minnesota. We talked about it. Trace Jackson Davis, 25-21 boards. Becomes the all-time leader in Indiana basketball history in block shots. Then after the game... The interim head coach, and again, Mike Woodson out with COVID. And so Woodson has a policy, I think this is probably pretty normal, that the assistant coach who has done the scouting for that particular game would then become the coach in acting during the game itself. So that was Yasir, also known as Ya Roseman, who after the game, Rob Hummel asked his thoughts on Trace Jackson Davis. The answer was... um, Shall we say unique or and organic? Here we go. I tell people all the time, if you can find 25 to 30 people better than him in his NBA draft, hey, I'll kiss your ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to kiss you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, I want to kiss you. I couldn't care less about the team struggling. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> 25 points, 21 I like rebounds. I like Mark amuses himself over there. And six blocks. Happens quite what often. Trace Jackson Davis has done, <laughs> particularly since coming back from uh, from the new year. I mean, remember that Iowa game earlier in the Big Ten? Yeah! <laughs> I was agreeing with you. Yeah, I remember it. That was just at the start of the month, how much Trace is favoring his back, kind of fighting through that. Um, boy, him and Zach Eady right now. Shaquille O'Neal type numbers that they're putting up in college basketball. Speaking of Edie tonight, it's Purdue in Ann Arbor. They've been there for a while. They bust up on Tuesday uh, due to Mother Nature, favored by five and a half. They didn't break apart. They got on. That's B U S. Is it one S or two? E D. Not bust up, but bust. Like bust, right? Uh, correct. Okay. Yeah. I thought you meant like the team broke apart and they were having some some chemistry issues. No, I think our entire listening audience probably understood what I was saying there. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Hunter Dickinson last year in Mackey, all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I can shoot threes. So he hasn't done it a whole lot this year, but I am curious to see that matchup tonight. Uh, Michigan 5-3 and three, uh, in the Big Ten, undefeated at home in the Big Ten here, but their wins, Maryland, Penn State, Northwestern, Minnesota. It's not like they've played a whole lot of juggernauts. In, is it still Chrysler Arena? Is that what they call it? I think that's right. Five and a half. Are you surprised by like that a, line? Chrysler Arena seems, I always felt like, by the way, had the greatest disparity in the Big Ten between the level of competitive team that was playing in it and the atmosphere of it. Like it was always just kind of a subdued crowd. 
Yeah, been there once. It was a decent crowd. It was kind of a you know a seven seed B line team. Um, yeah, it was a good game. Super Bowl Saturday. I remember that. It's the Chrysler Center now. It says Center. Okay. It, I've, I've actually Michigan never been. Probably needs this for their resume. I've never been in the Chrysler Center. Is it like? Does it look like Mackey Arena? That's what it feels yes, like. It would look uh, like. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got a very similar feel to it. Certainly nowhere near the atmosphere that Mackey is. You mentioned Butler last night, Jake. Uh, I did mention Butler last night, unfortunately, because the dogs. So that's every single Biggie's loss by at least twenty, or at least of, like fifteen. Speaking of struggling. Uh, Providence seventy nine fifty eight yeah over the dogs last night eleven and eleven now for Butler they are three and eight in Big East play they were leading like five minutes in the game I'm like oh cool looking forward to watching a little bit of that and the next time I turned over they were down fifteen boy I mean now they did um, Manny Bates is back which is important for them but yeah but they lost to Seton Hall by twenty five uh, St John's they lost by sixteen so they were within twenty there but it's a struggle. Uh, speaking of a struggle, early last night, first quarter for the Pacers, they give up 46 in that one. Uh, Rick Carlisle, not too pleased with Indiana's effort early in that one. Our presence defensively was not where it needed to be. They hit us with a lot of shots, shot make, you know, a lot of made shots, drives to the basket, and we were on our heels. You know, The second night of the back-to-back is not an excuse because we've been good all year in those situations. We just got to be better. Uh, Indiana hosting Milwaukee tomorrow night at the Fieldhouse. Rick Carlo always sounds like he has a head cold. He, I thought he sounded a little bit more stuffed up than normal. Yeah, he, which guy. you know, with Mike Woodson's situation, okay. allergies. Uh, Gary Harris, twenty-two points for the Fishers native last night. Eight of nine shooting, six of six from three. That is a season high for him. You know, a guy that's really struggling right now for the Pacers. They've kind of been asked a little, put a little bit more on his plate. Andrew Nimhard. Well, Nemhard, talk about under the weather. He's missed the last couple games oh, I thought due he to did. illness. He, uh, he kind of struggled once. Yeah, he did. Yeah, went out. He did struggle. Aaron Neesmith. Yeah, he has. Two of his last 22. Well, Duarte went through a slump at one point. I mean, they've had a couple of guys that have had... And again, how much of this is they're being asked to do more? You know, I think there's been, certainly things I've liked about Neesmith, but I think I probably like him a little bit more coming off the bench when you're talking about... Um, Agree. Picture. Good wing defender. Offensive game still finding some consistency. You know, not finding consistency. Battle of the two top rookies in the league. Benedict Matherin, 26. Paula Boncaro, 23. Uh, What you like about Matherin last night, outside of the 26, four assists and no turnovers. That is an area he struggled in. Good to see him get that done last night. And then the Miles Turner injury, which we'll talk more about with Scott Agnes coming up next at 9 o'clock. Zach Kiefer going to join us. And again, a little bit into Jero Avero, the Broncos D coordinator, uh, reportedly coming into Indianapolis for a second interview for the Colts head coaching search. We'll get more into his background coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton. Collect calls exclusively That's here. That's right. 317-239-1070. Uh, Scott Agnes about to join us here. Fieldhouse Files. Um, yeah, I think I pointed out, what was that? Uh, the comeback against Chicago. Aaron Neesmith was big in that game, but boy, he has struggled here big time in the month of January. You know, kind of an expanded role, of course. With Tyrese Halliburton out, Andrew Nemhart has been out. 30% from the floor, 25% from three here. And again, two of his last 22 from the floor. Pacers not won a road game in over a month to talk more about that. Scott Agnes is here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott, good morning. 
Good morning. Uh, are we thinking that Tyrese Halliburton is still going to be an all-star? And, and when do we get word on that? I was kind of curious about that. Yeah, I, I think so. So tonight, the starters along with the captains, and the captains will likely be LeBron and Giannis. It's the top two vote-getters on each team. Those will be announced on a uh, TNT pregame show. Um, I, I I believe Tyrese will be an all-star. Um flat out just because the the reserves are voted on by the coaches and just hearing head coaches talk about the Pacers before the game and and then them obviously dealing with the Pacers preparing for them all that and seeing what this team has been like without Tyrese I don't, I'm not sure how he's not part of that group now being a starter I think is a long shot just because fans have 50 percent of the vote and that 50 percent is usually a popularity contest so you know, um, I'm not sure it'd go his way, but uh, you'll find out. I believe the re- the reserves will then be next Thursday. Got it. Okay, yeah, I was curious about that. Which honestly, next Thursday that might be the first time we see him uh, back on the floor. Lakers and Kings coming up next Thursday and Friday. Again, Scott Agnes with us from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, you know, I had thought about turning away from the game l- late last night. You know, UConn Xavier is a great finish. You know, Butler was underway. Indiana was underway. For some reason, I decided to stay with it, and all of a sudden, I see Miles Turner with less than a minute to go in kind of an awkward play. Um, you know, go down with a right foot ankle injury. He asked to come out initially, and then he stayed in. He actually kind of looked fine to me on the next defensive possession, but then eventually went out, uh, goes over to the bench. They take off his shoe, and then I think he walked back to the locker room. Um, did we get any update on that slash? Is that right foot, right ankle? Was that the same foot of the issues he's had the last couple of years? Yeah, so we did We did not get any update, unfortunately, post-game um, from Rick Carlisle. But I would agree, it's, it, it didn't, I mean, it's hard to obviously evaluate from sure. afar. But uh, it did not initially, I don't think, look anything too serious because the fact that he, to his credit, finished out the next play and got a, got a stop and... Uh, it was funny. I thought it was a block. I credited him with a uh, with a steal on that one. But nonetheless, yeah, he did come out. And no, it, it, it was the the stress reaction was in his left foot. This okay. one looked like his right foot when he stepped on uh, uh, an opposing player's foot last night. I don't think it's serious, but we did not get any kind of update. Scott, when we look at Kevin and I, were just talking about the fact that. You know, Nimhard kind of hit a wall there. Neesmith has struggled. Duarte went through a stretch where he, he really struggled. Kevin brought up a good point. I wanted to run it past you. Have the Pacers gotten kind of an opportunity here maybe in the last month as they are looking at this nucleus of players that they are building on? Have they gotten a pretty good indicator as to who are guys that are capable of being the guy when injuries – necessitate it and who are guys that are always going to need to be a Robin. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think more than anything, Jake, they just got a reality check and, and you'll appreciate this because um, the, the comparison, but remove removing Tyrese from the equation, I think has kind of demonstrated how much perhaps he was covering up much like we in this town were used to Peyton covering things up and, you know, all those different kinds of things. And so I think, with Tyrese being away from it, um, that you, you really see some of the flaws on the roster. Um, 
that I think it's, it's, it was a helpful and has been a helpful reality check of, you know, in late game situations, it's been Tyrese. Well, it can't only be Tyrese and um, how, how important he had been, uh, especially those first like five games back to, or, or away, I should say, to get Buddy involved. Like without Tyrese, Buddy looked like a shell of himself for a while. Like he was, he was missing his sidekick out there. Um, and, and what I mean, I am curious, you mentioned Neesmith. He's dealing with a sore right wrist. He hadn't made a, a shot in a couple of games, so I do wonder how much that, if at all, is impacting you know that uh, his shooting performance. And then in terms of Nemhard, yeah, it does feel like giving him an extra responsibility. Remember, all season they've been having him on as the top defender. He's taking on that biggest assignment, the bigger guy. Well, now they're trying. They try have tried to add, you know, him being the 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 point guard and having the top assignment there. And I think that's that's asking a lot of any player. Um, so I'm not too surprised that he hadn't necessarily looked at full strength there, just because that's a big ask. And Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files is with us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Scott, if I were going to make out a list of things that have been encouraging this season and things that have been disappointing, you would have, or I would have, an overwhelming majority on the encouraging side versus the disappointing side. On the disappointing side, though, I've got one that in my mind is pretty clear above the rest. You have any idea where I would be going with that one? I know I would go. It's the Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith department. Gosh, what about you? Great minds think alike. Um, yeah, and I don't know if Goga deserves to be slotted in with those two, but basically to summarize what you and I are thinking with that, no young big guy has emerged. And I think that is what adds to the confusion. I've got birds on each shoulder about the Miles Turner situation, and you see him go down last night, and and boy, if this is anything long-term or it's going to impact the trade deadline, it's such a bummer because, again, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, and a little bit of Goga, none of them have stepped up like you've had maybe some guards emerge. Yeah, that, that's been the real disappointment, I'd say, is, is, is how they've been used, is the lack of clarity there. I mean, it's it's very difficult, I think, to go from get, promising a guy a starting role to kind of out of the rotation or or inconsistent. What it seems like is going on is just on a game by game basis. Generally, one of those two, Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith, is going to play, but not really both anymore. Maybe that's allowing that that individual to get more playing time rather than splitting fifteen minutes. Let's give one one guy fifteen minutes, but. I thought this would be the season where certainly one of them, perhaps both, would really get significant regular minutes. And I guess I mean by that, 15, 20 minutes each. Um, And you'd really be able to figure out that position and which one would be maybe a starter moving forward. Um, Could you start both? Would one of them become a possible trade asset? But, uh, yeah, that's been the number one thing that's, that's really stood out to me like a sore thumb because, you just haven't gotten as much clarity on that situation in this season. Again, going back to the beginning, that was supposed to be that is about growth and development. Right. It, it has not been in that front. Scott, a guy that is intriguing to me also about with the Pacers is, and I know he's a fan favorite, and I get it. T.J. McConnell, right? Um, at the beginning of the year, the Pacers were pretty bullish on, hey, T.J. McConnell's a guy that is always going to have a spot in this organization, like even in the front office when he's done playing. 
and it felt like he was a guy that could have an impact in limited roles because he kind of flew under the radar, off the radar type thing. And that the more he was out there, the more eventually you were going to find out why he was a number three point guard. And now I feel like we've sold him short. And that he is one guy that, that when he gets minutes, it's like teams don't have a scouting report on him and they're like, where'd this guy come from? Can he can continue to play reliably for them? I know he's no Halliburton, don't get me wrong. But as his number is called... Can he continue to sustain a high-level play game in and game out? Or is he, in fact, what we thought he was at the beginning of the year? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think I think it's to a certain extent. Uh, two games ago against Chicago, I think he played 41 minutes. That's tough on any guy, but especially to, uh, DJ who's not used to that workload. And also what makes him special is that hard play and how, how – just it's constant play, motor, right? right? Constant motor. Yeah, you cannot have that motor. I don't think for forty-one minutes. It's it's pressuring full court. It's stealing the inbounds class. It's diving on the floor. I mean, That's, he's eight for eight last night. It's like you know what I mean. I, I do, and I did recognize though his minutes were down from the forty-one at least. I think it was thirty-three. Um, right. I, I think if you can ideally keep him to that 30 and under, then you can really maximize who T.J. McConnell is. If you need him to go more, sure. But he also, I think, had four turnovers last night. Um, and and so some of that pops up more. But I, I do think people, a lot of people view him, you know, he's an emergency you know, point guard if necessary. You know, he's a huge overpay. No, I, I disagree with that, especially what he does behind the scenes and huddles. He's going to be a future head coach. I think um, more than anything, and follow kind of the family business, if you will. There, but uh, I'd really like for his minutes to be slightly down. Therefore, what you get from him can be a little bit more. Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files with the C on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Scott, I feel like every time the Pacers play the Magic, and it probably helps that the Magic have had a lottery pick for what twenty straight years or something. <laughs> Seems like it. They yeah. have just unbelievable length and size like I, I couldn't tell you how many times last night I just counted on one or count on multiple hands just buckets that I'm like I mean what else can Indiana do like you know when you watch just their height and length and I feel like for the Pacers moving forward that is an area that they, they need to add more of yeah 100% I mean there's there's several teams out there that just go after a certain body type a certain style Toronto's the other team that absolutely comes to mind with all of that, and they have a lot of those. Uh, but in, in terms of Orlando, yeah. And the biggest thing, even being around guys like this for years now, Bull Bull is just so unique. Like, I think he's 7'3", and you feel every part of that when you're standing next to him. Um, and, and he's a guy that's had success in, in small minutes against the Pacers in every game this season. But... You're right. Last last game, it seemed like you know it was Bull Bull, it was Mo Bamba, it was Wendell Carter Jr. They just relentlessly had those those bigs. And to your point, the the area the Pacers need to add is kind of that six foot nine mm-hmm. wing that can do a little bit of everything. I'll ask you this probably next Thursday, and again the Thursday after that when the trade deadline is here on February 9th. Uh, anything change for you and your opinion on what the Pacers or how the Pacers will operate here over the next two weeks? I think we'll start, especially next week, to get a better idea of who's actually a seller out there. 
um, and what the market shapes up to be as you get what I don't know more like a week in ten days out from the trade deadline. But I I've noticed you've had several scouts from opposing teams, several more. It feels like the normal checking out the Pacers. Um, and I, I would say the the guy that more those teams are interested in or checking out to evaluate, thinking he might be available or they could get him is Chris Duarte. So. Um, He's a guy that I think long-term for the Pacers would be fantastic as their sixth man. Um, and it, uh, it's, you know, the, the challenge for the team this year has been your starting buddy, and so then you're bringing Matherin off the bench, so then what is Chris Morte's role? So perhaps the Pacers would look to clarify that position at the trade deadline. That's what some teams are at least looking into. Um, but right now, you know, I would still expect – for them to possibly make a move or two, even if it's just moving on from Goga um, and taking on a bad salary or something like that. But nothing has, I don't think, you know, become clear just yet being several weeks out. Uh, Kevin, you mentioned the phrase birds on your shoulder. Is that right? Yeah, a couple birds on each shoulder. Uh, I I am curious what birds, uh, parrots would be a shoulder. Scott, if you had to have a couple birds on your shoulders, what birds would you pick? <laughs> parents are too chatty. You were talking the angel devil, but those wouldn't be the birds. Yeah, the angel devil. I, I've heard that. Uh, I get that, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, a uh, canary. Yeah, that wouldn't be cardinal. Uh, the state bird. I was going to say cardinal. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be a cardinal, right? A blue jay. I guess blue jays are aggressive. Did you know that they're instigators? Really? Yeah. Like that Woody Woodpecker. He's an instigator. Scott, any idea on Halliburton on the return date? You, I know you mentioned to us last week. This is more elbow than knee. Um, but today is the reevaluation date. Are we looking at Friday or Sunday? Or are we thinking next week? No, I, I don't expect him to play at all this weekend. Um, I, I think if he had it his way, he'd be back in a week. Because look at Friday. Who do they play? It's Sacramento here in Indianapolis. I think if it's up to him and he's feeling good, I think he's going to do everything in his power to be back then however you know there's a lot at stake with him and and this team and so you know you don't want to rush him back but i think if if he can and is feeling good he'll try to be back at least for friday Pacers have practice today no it's an off day so the update on tyrese although to be fair they've been good about giving updates along the way with him um i don't think there will be anything substantial other than hey he's doing more he's practice or he's going through parts of practice he's getting shots up and by the way he's knocking down shots so well so um that's a good indicator what i wonder about is you know him taking contact and also with that left hand and dribbling i don't think it's as much the shot it's it's more when you're putting force with that left hand um how how much if at all is that irritating him and that's what he's trying to recover from how about orioles what about an oriole or a robin i think they're kind of the same thing aren't they would you want either one of them on your shoulders, Kevin? I thought Orioles. Aren't they? Well, I, I thought they were different than a Robin. The Oriole on the hat is cool. I mean, Scott, you can hang fun. up at any point. By the way, <laughs> Scott, thank you as always for the time. Fieldhouse Files, Scott Agnes. Thanks, good. Scott. Thanks, guys. Blue Jays are cool, though, right? Now, birds are just—they're a bit much for me. Really. Robins have a grayish head, while Orioles have black heads and backs. There you go. That bird exhibit at the zoo is quite the thing. Robins have a grayish head, while Orioles have black heads and backs.
Okay. That's the difference. So how about this delivery guy on the floor last night at the Duquesne game? Did you see this? I saw that. Somebody got a... He was delivering... McDonald's. McDonald's to a ref. DoorDash. He, Somebody's he go, like, it has to be an ad. I'm like, how could that be an ad? It was a live game going on. Yeah, did he go was, out onto was, the floor? It was fake. Um, but boy, talk about great pub. It was fake? Yeah. Uh-huh. Was the, Were the teams in on that? I, I, I don't the know. The school had to be, right? It had you to have know, been. How was, I mean, so do, it's, it, it's unbelievable pub for... The school, I mean, and now everyone's watching the Duquesne, whoever they were playing game. Loyola. They're playing Loyola, Loyola. Loyola Chicago. It was hilarious. Yeah, basically, for those that missed it, this guy with the DoorDash order walks on the bottom right of the court, if you're watching the TV copy of it, and the ref's like, get back, get back. I mean, play was right in front of him. I, I can't imagine, like, the DoorDash guy just shows up to the gate and is like, yeah, I just got an order. Are you guys going to let me through? Oh, yeah, come on in. Did you ever see the game where the uh, Phoenix Gorilla dropped his drumstick on the floor? No. <laughs> During live play? Yeah. And During, no Charles Barkley incident? Or he, he, is that like, the Nuggets? The Phoenix aspect? Gorilla had, I don't know if he was, I don't know for what reason he had a drumstick, but he dropped it and it rolled out onto the floor and in cat-like quickness. I mean, it was impressive. <laughs> he jumps out, gets it, and I mean, in the blink of an eye, is back off the floor again. It was awesome. I mean, that's a top five mascot right there. Well, now you've segued into this. Um well, we're up against it we going, now that I look at it, aren't we? Are we going NBA only? Sat Kiefer joins Rocky us. is number one. And that's the Nuggets mascot. Yeah, yeah. With a lightning bolt tail. Mm-hmm. I mean, Boomer's certainly up I there mean, as well. I mean, non-Boomer category here, but Rocky is number one. It's not close. Uh, Zach Kiefer in 10 minutes. How about this from um, ESPN in regards to this weekend's championship games? Since November... Joe Burrow, 10 and 0. Brock Purdy, 7 and 0. Patrick Mahomes, 10 and 1. Jalen Hurts, 8 and 1. Who did Hurts and Mahomes <clears throat> lose to? Mahomes' loss to Burrow. Hurts' loss, I think, to Taylor Heineke. I think I saw a stat that Joe Burrow is 4 and 0 against Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Well, I, I know they're three and zero against Kansas City in the last two years, yeah. Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and they've beaten them, you know, really in a variety of ways. Remember, Jamar Chase had that huge game, like oh, two hundred and fifty yeah. against them. Cincinnati's just so balanced, you know. I mean, they just have so many weapons, and their defense has taken a big step forward. Yeah, and that Patrick O line is hung in there. I, I'm really looking forward. Did you see to the video Sunday. last year that came out? The Cincinnati Inquirer put it together, the newspaper in Cincinnati. But it was just nothing but fan reaction. Oh, I love that. Like a montage of all the reactions. And when you see that, you're like, you know, it would be cool to see the Bengals win one. Because that's been a... Yeah, and the Reds give them a lot of joy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as I've mentioned before, I'm a huge Reds fan. Where else are you going to go? I can't stand Ohio State. And then I'm like, wait a minute. That means I share fandom with these people. More points for the Bengals on Sunday or wins for the Reds this season? Boy. (laughs) <laughs> remember last year how were you not crying why were you just laughing remember last year i said i was like they may not win like 50 games i mean i thought they were going to be historically bad mark did you get a little chill there what's just happened what just happened there? i got a little chill do you know what bad. that means when you get a shiver like that all what's of a that? sudden he was thinking about the reds winning uh, 30 it's, games it's right? radio and not television here except for those who have been watching by the way in the youtube channel and we're thankful for that we've it had starting to get cold uh good listener good numbers on that but 
when you get a chill all of a sudden spontaneously and without reason supposedly it means that a spirit has passed through you no a ghost boy all right then yeah Good. Thanks for that. Yesterday we talked about conspiracy theories. <laughs> the old janitor that roams the halls. Glad that we're back there. <laughs> I'm just saying. Again, you know? Bengals and 49ers. You guys have heard me mention before. D'Amico Ryans, Brian Callahan, my two favorite candidates here. You look at the last two years, Jake. With Cincinnati, again, Cincinnati's offense, Callahan the coordinator. San Francisco's defense, Ryans the coordinator there. Like Those two units have been I think the reason why these two teams have had a little bit of out-of-nowhere runs. I mean, obviously, Burrow helps, of course, but I don't think we looked at the start of last year and said, oh, yeah, San Francisco and Cincinnati. No-brainers. They're going to be playing here in the Final Four. They've played in the Final Four each of the last two years, combined in the playoffs. They're 9-2 and two the last two years. Five of those wins on the road. I just continue also. I, when you think about Cincinnati and you think about Jamar Chase and you think about, you know, I realize Mixon's a position that probably is doesn't have the longevity, but Chase and Higgins and Burrow. And then you think about Kansas City and Mahomes and you think about Buffalo with Allen. Even Baltimore, if they re-sign Jackson. I, and then you look at the Colts and you're like, where does where is the sliver of opportunity? Where's the opening in the traffic jam where they can work their way back into the left lane? Doesn't seem seamless. I mean... And again, what you learn from these final four teams, I think they've all drafted their quarterback. They're all 27 or younger. The offensive systems have been very steady for those young quarterbacks. But to your point about Mixon, Chase, etc., Jake, these are loaded skill groups. Yeah, Loaded and versatile skill groups. Let's get back into the Colts head coaching search. Zach Kiefer joins us next. Something I want to ask Zach Kiefer when he joins us here in a few is that question I threw to you, Jake, earlier about, you know, in the Colts' eyes, do you think offensive background or head coaching experience matters more? Basically, if you look at who will represent the respective teams in the Super Bowl, we're guaranteed to have two offensive background coaches. Um, if you go back to 2016, Jake, that was Dan Quinn in the Super Bowl with Atlanta. The only defensive head coach you've had in the Super Bowl in that time span has been Belichick. It's interesting. Like I, this offensive background is not just like a one or two year sort of thing. I mean, it's been okay. Does Jim Irsay get swayed by the fact that when Jim Irsay won the Super Bowl, what was the background of the coach? Sure, it's a fair point to bring I realize to you and I that was game. a million years ago, right. but to Jim Irsay it was yesterday. And again, Jake, in NFL world, that was a billion years ago. You know, Ricky Williams and Red, and Edron James are not being drafted where they were drafted, you know, in, in, in that era anymore. I mean, hell, the days of Ezekiel Elliott going in the top five are not going to be happening. Uh, let's sneak Jeff in before we get to Zach Kiefer. Jeff's got the Chiefs over the Bengals. Uh, yes, sir. I just kind of want to emphasize on, you know, just how dominant the Chiefs have been over the last few years. Um, keep in mind that Burrow is still on that rookie contract, um, you know, so it is a little easier for Cincinnati to have all these weapons around them. Uh, but when it comes down to it, the Bengals aren't going to get it done on Sunday, and then it's time to uh, put on your big boy pants and decide who you're going to sign and for how much and who you need to let go. Mahomes so looked pretty good shows. yesterday w- without the boot on, right? Uh, 
we would like to think so, but to me, I've seen I've seen him a little gingerly doing warm ups and a little high kicks, but nothing's going to keep him down. And from you know, from what uh, Juju says, the game plan, you know, Reed's going to have that game plan to keep things interesting and keep Cincinnati on their heels. So, Jeff, you're a Chiefs fan, obviously, right? Uh, yes, sir. Have you been to a game at Arrowhead? Uh, I lived out there for seven years, and I uh, still go out to uh, one a year. I was at the Bills Chiefs playoffs game last year. Wow! Are you a Royals fan? Quite the game to go to. Uh, I'm I'm a huge huge Cubs fan. Um, the Royals, I guess, would be my American League team. Okay, that's cool. Give us a score, Jeff, for Sunday. Uh, it's going to be twenty-seven twenty-four. Except it's going to be the Chiefs over the Bengals this time. Twenty-seven twenty-four. Jeff says. You know, he brings up a point about their weapons. You know, how Cincinnati obviously defends Travis Kelsey speaks for itself. Boy, we saw Jacksonville do you? <laughs> have issues. Um, but again, who else steps up? Is it Juju? Is it, you know, McCall Hardman's health has been an issue. You know, some of these other wideouts of, um, you know, Kadarius Tony they got late in the year. And it'll be really interesting, I think, just the supporting cast around Kelsey. Jarek McKinnon's been a, yeah. kind of a revelation Jarek for McKinnon's been huge out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw Pacheco, the rookie from Rutgers, have a huge play in that game against Jacksonville as well. But, man, Cincinnati, just the variety of weapons they have, it's such a difference. Such a difference. I mean, hell, Samaji Pirine's kind of been a nice find as a running back when Mixon's been out. I mean, Jake, they had Mixon out, I think, for two games, won both. They had Jamar Chase out for four, and they won three of those four. I mean, that is the depth of your skill group stepping up. There is something about Burroughs, also just his swagger. Is that the right word? He has a confidence that I think just exudes to everybody else, where he just looks locked in, man. It is a swagger, unquestionably. It just looks locked in and, and always looks like he is ready for whatever comes his way. And I think that that kind of just automatically, you know, carries over to his teammates. Uh, joining us now in the Payless Stickers Hotline, as he is kind enough to do, Speaking of talking in. about the Colts and always is locked in at the Athletic, talking about Zach Kiefer. Zach, I'll, I'll begin by asking you this question that I posed to Kevin earlier. I realize that there are only so many head coaching opportunities in the National Football League, and so those that are being interviewed are probably going to take whatever opportunity comes their way. But if for whatever reason the Colts find themselves uh, offering or interested in a candidate that is also getting interest from other franchises, is there any chance that candidates could be kind of turned off with Indianapolis because they go through an interview with Chris Ballard then they see Jim Irsay and Jim Irsay's daughters, which that is absolutely their right as the owning family of the Colts involved. But is it possible that a candidate could say, there just seem to be a lot of chefs in the kitchen and I'm not sure who I'd be answering to? Yeah, I think I think that's good advice from their agent, right? If they're negotiating this potential deal. And I think they really have zeroed in sort of on two types of candidates right now. And we'll see what happens early next week after the conference title games and expect the Colts to bring in a couple more for second-round interviews. But there's the young up-and-coming coach, you know, a coach that would really be a gamble in a lot of ways. You don't know what it's going to look like. They're likely going to have to grow into the job, you know. I mean, you go to Zach Taylor in Cincinnati, and he won like six combined games his first couple years. I think Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco won 10 combined games his first two years. So, 
you know, those are the bets you make, and then you have to live with that. So those guys, to answer your question, Jake, I imagine they'd be ready to take the chance. They'd be ready to jump in. Now, the other type of candidate the Colts have zeroed in on are the much more experienced candidates. You know, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn. You know, Dan Quinn's probably going to have options, right? And there's a very real conversation that he needs to have with potential coaches that would be coming here and also his agent and also with himself to a degree about what's happened in Indianapolis the 12 months because everybody in this league knows. Everybody knows what happened in Indianapolis and the decisions that were made and who made those decisions. It's a very real factor. And honestly, they'd be dumb not to consider that as they walk into this job. Zach Keepers with us from The Athletic. Zach, a question I was asking Jake a little bit earlier, and I'll throw it to you. Whether it's Chris Ballard and or Jim Irsay, in their eyes, what do you think matters more? Offensive background with a candidate or head coaching experience? That's a really good question, KB. Uh, I'm going to go offensive background. I don't think they're necessarily married to the idea of hiring a coach with head coaching experience. Um, look at this. Look at these numbers, right? So last two years, nine of the top 10 scoring offenses made the playoffs. Nine of the top 10 both years, and the two teams that didn't make it were one game out. Of the 16 teams to make the divisional round the last two years, so eight this year, eight the year before, only three only three have been led by defensive-minded head coaches. Two of those are Sean McDermott with the Bills both times, and then you had Mike Vrabel last year. So it's no cle- it's, it's, it's not, it's not you know, a secret. I'm not breaking news that this is an offensive league. But what's broken with the Colts right now? They're 32nd in red zone. They were 32nd in offensive scoring. They were 29th in third downs. I could go on and on, but everybody out there that's listening to your show watch this team and watch how bad they were on offense. And what are you going to do in April? You're going to draft a quarterback with the top four pick, maybe higher. You need to go get an offensive coach, and you need to grow around this quarterback. That's just my opinion. Um, but look, the, the candidates they're bringing in right now, Ezero Evero out of Denver, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn, those guys are defensive coaches. So I'm not sure what we'll see next week, but I'd expect to see some offensive names. This team cannot ignore the fact that they've been terrible on offense the last, 18, 19 games, going back to the end last year, and they need to fix it because the situation you put this rookie quarterback in is very, very important. Zach, rate for me 1 to 10, 10 being the most, obviously, 1 being the least. The level at this point of candidacy for Jeff Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm, going to hold firm on this. I think it's a 5 or a 6, Jake. As long as Ursay is in running this team, Jeff's got a chance. I think he's going to be in this until the end. Jim Ursay doesn't usually get involved in this process based on the past until the second round of interviews, until the face-to-face interviews. He has always had his GM run the search, and these are Jim Ursay's words. I have never superseded my GM on their coach, on their pick, on their recommendation. Now, we know what happened four months ago, three months ago, whenever it was. That changed. That was an interim situation. That was the middle of the season. That's a little bit different. This is completely different, right? 14 interviews, which is more than any team's done in at least the last four years. If Chris Ballard comes to him with a recommendation that's not Jeff Saturday, which I fully expect to be the case, I don't think Ballard's going to recommend Saturday. Does Jim say break 30 years of precedent, 30 years of what he's preached, 
to bring back a coach that went one and seven and had a negative 87 point differential and really saw no tangible progress in any area for this team. I just don't think he does. I but, don't think he does. I'm not ruling anything out, though. Kind of a unique curveball or asterisk to the equation, but could could you say, like when, when Josh McDaniels backed out, was it Frank Reich or Chris Ballard that selected, uh, excuse me, Jim Irsay or Chris Ballard that selected Frank Reich? Yeah, Ursay got more involved the second time, for sure. Um, Bill Polian had a call with him, and he recommended Reich. And, and, and it's not to say that Ballard didn't want Reich as well. So Ursay was more involved, but I think Ballard was sold on Reich as well. Zach Kiefer from The Athletic with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Zach, I guess one more on the Saturday front before we we move on. Uh, you get tagged in the same tweets that you know I get tagged in a lot of times. I mean, the fan venom towards a Jeff Saturday hire it is really through the roof. I mean, hell, you've got this petition going around that I think has over a thousand signatures. You know, hashtag, you know, whatever Saturday leave. We've seen Jim Irsay listen or acknowledge social media influence from fans before, whether that was Chuck Pagano, whether that was T.Y. Hilton and his free agency. Do you think Jim Irsay sees that, and do you think he cares one way or the other about it? That's a good question. I think, and I wrote this in my story yesterday, you know, he absolutely sees it. Like, to, to, to think he doesn't is just naive. Now, does it impact the decision? We're going to have to wait and find out, but... This would be a different answer in probably 30, 31 other NFL cities. But right. here, it, it actually is a real thing. And social media has had some impact on the decisions this team has made in the last couple of years. Not, not being the deciding factor, for sure. But there's no way that he doesn't see that. And there's no way he doesn't care. He does care. He does care about the pulse of his fan base. He's a very unique owner. And I think he wears his heart on his sleeve, for better or for worse. And at the very end of the day, Colts fans will never question whether or not Jim Irsay wants to win. But I think that's what the crux of all of this is, is they don't believe this team is going to win. And some of the comments I've gotten are, are startling. Like people who have rooted for this team their entire lives are saying they would just stop caring about the Colts if they move in that direction with Jeff Saturday. And there's the petition, like you said, that has over a thousand signatures probably in 24 hours or so. It's a really strong movement. Now, will it be the deciding factor? No, because Chris Ballard is going to have a say in this. And, again, he's going to probably not side with Jeff Saturday based on a lot of other reasons, many of which you've talked about on your show. But to say that Jim Merce doesn't see it and isn't aware of it, I just don't buy that. I just don't believe that. That'll be a fascinating conversation if and when they decide who to hire, how much of a role did that play in it? Because um, I know for a fact that he sees this stuff. They're kind of painted into a corner, Zach, in this capacity. I, I mentioned this to Kevin earlier. Let's say that they hire, you know, insert name, Dan Quinn. Right? I'm just throwing a name out there. And so the press conference, the question is going to be posed to Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay. How much did the fan backlash or threat of backlash factor in your decision to go away from Jeff Saturday? And at that point, you're kind of painted into a corner, right? Because you either say, I don't care about what the fans had to say, or you say, yeah, actually, the fans influenced the decision. And either way, leaves you a little bit of a weird taste in your mouth, right? 
Yeah, that's that's awkward. I've thought about that. Like, how do you ask that question? I'll tell you this: Ballard Ballard doesn't care. Like, Ballard's not thinking about what the fans want. Ballard's, I mean, let's let's remember here: this is a GM that's trying to save his job. Correct. He's got his job for next year, but that's another thing I keep going back to. And and and, and trust me, Chris is he's locked in on this. Um, he's trying to save his job for the next couple of years, and if he gets this coach right, and if he gets this quarterback right. Everything could change for him in Indianapolis. If he gets it wrong, I think we know how that ends. So that's another reason that I just I just can't come to the reality. I just can't come to the thinking that a guy who's trying to save his job is going to recommend a coach that he didn't want in the first place and that went 1-7 and seven and was mostly abysmal over those eight games. I just can't imagine that scenario. And then you bring in the wild card, that being the owner. I can't imagine the owner who knows football despite the last 12 months, who knows what it takes to win in this league, forcing upon a coach that this GM didn't want the first time, forcing him on him a second time. That's just terrible management. And again, I wrote this the other day, it would be, it would be catastrophic for this team because of who you're bringing in in terms of a quarterback in the spring. So that's a good, that's a good question, Jake. And, and I think if I ask that question at the press conference, whenever they hire a coach, I think I'm going to ask Ursay because you never know what's going to come out. <laughs> That's an understatement. Zach Keeper from The Athletic, again with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Zach, I believe you uh, indicated in your latest piece Raheem Morris had a really strong first interview. Obviously, it's it's pretty tight-lipped, and again, Jim Ursay now is starting to get involved here when these second interviews take place. Um, have you heard of anyone else that maybe has left a good you know, early impression on the Colts? Yeah, it's been mostly tight-lipped. Um, that's really the only like tangible evidence I'm good reporting at this point is that Raheem Morris had a good interview, and that was from both sides. So obviously it wasn't a surprise that he got a second one. I have no doubt Dan Quinn interviews well, I mean, with his pedigree, with his success in Dallas, et cetera. Um, but Easy Evero, obviously he's interviewing well because everybody wants him back for a second interview. So that's interesting, but... Um, Man, wouldn't, what would you guys pay to be on the wall for the Jeff Saturday interview? Like, I would love to hear his pitch. Someone texted us earlier and said, I'm just picturing Jim Ursay in the interview saying, oh, great point, Jeff. Very smart. <laughs> yep, yep, I agree. And Chris Ballard, you know, looking like Chris Ballard typically looks. I've got a, I think his pitch, settings. Zach, Jeff Saturday's pitch. His pitch probably rips Chris Ballard, right? His, Almost his, like. His pitch actually. Your culture's terrible. the Dan Orlovsky tweet. I, I yeah. think that Jeff Saturday, Jeff Saturday was, and, and this is what I think we can't overlook, Zach, and, and feel free to tell me you think I'm totally wrong here, but I think that Jeff Saturday's opinion or thought process on what was being asked of him in that interim eight-game level, in his eyes, is different than what it is when you are the full-time coach. And I think his pitch is going to be, look, you brought me in here because deep down, let's be honest, guys, we all knew that the season was a wash and that you wanted to try different things and you needed me to come in to inventory the personnel to try to instill a culture of accountability and to find guys that were getting back to the hotel too late on Saturday night. And that's what I did. I did what you asked me to do. Now you want me to start coming up with game plans with a staff that I will 
work with as opposed to that begrudgingly inherited me or had me airdropped in on them. So let me show you what I can do when I now have my hands on the wheel as opposed to having it be the automated Tesla and I'm simply there to make sure it doesn't hit curbs. That's what his sales pitch is going to be. You're, yeah, Jake, you're absolutely right. It's it's He's selling a vision. He's selling the idea Correct. that it will be better if he gets to do it his way. But let's be honest. Say this much for Jeff Saturday. He, he didn't lie. Like, when he came in here, he was real with us. When he took the job in November, November 8th or 9th or whatever it was, he said, look, I understand how this works. I'm going to be judged on wins and losses, and that's how this works. And then at the end of the season, his story changed. It was, well, you know, I didn't have a full coaching staff, and everything was set up with Frank, and it wasn't very good. And there was this organizational push to blame a lot of the stuff on the guy that wasn't there anymore, and that was Frank Wright. And then secondly, Jake, the problem I have with that is obviously he's pitching a vision. It'll be different if I have the whole time to set it up. It's just how I want, right? What are these other guys selling? They're selling results. Like, I'm just going to throw some names right. out there, but like, they're selling real tangible improvement, like yeah. Shane Steichen's. Like, Not first quarter leads. Oh, my gosh. Don't get me started. But like, I made Jalen Hurts an MVP candidate in 15 months. Like, Matt Kafka, you know, I'm just throwing out names. Like, I made Daniel Jones a good quarterback. And Ezra Everell. Like, we had Russell Wilson, and they couldn't score more than 10 points in the game, and our defense was still humming. And Dan Quinn and what he did in Dallas. Like, that matters in this league. Like, you got to get guys to buy in because they've done it before, and they have a track record of proving that they can make players better and teams better. This doesn't have that. And that's a really hard sell in my mind because – it's a gamble. No matter what you're doing, it's going to be a gamble. But when you know this guy's never done it before at that level, like in any capacity, that's just reckless in my opinion. Zach, has Jeff Saturday's complication of his legacy with Colts fans made it so that Jeff Saturday might well be the last member of the old band that agrees to come back to work for the organization? That's a good question, Jake. I Boy, everything could change if he gets the job, right? It just changes everything. Yeah, if he I doesn't get it, I mean. If he doesn't get it, I'm sorry. Like, in other if words... If he doesn't get it, I think this is a bad dream that everybody forgets. Don't you guys? Except for just... It, I don't think Jeff Saturday is working in any other capacity other than head coach. No, I agree with that. I agree, but what I'm saying is... And I don't know who it would be. I mean, Peyton Manning is the one that fans I know are always like, is Peyton going to come back and work? No, he's, he's not. not coming. He's not coming. But, and especially now, right? Because if there was ever even like a 1% chance, which I don't think there was, but if there was, doesn't Peyton Manning look at the the dip in legacy or standing amongst the fans of the Indianapolis Colts about Jeff Saturday, who was a beloved figure, and now all of a sudden like fans have turned on him wouldn't you say like look i'm they got a statue of me i want to leave it i want to stop while i'm ahead isn't that what any player would say now especially peyton manning i think peyton thinks about everything actually i know he does i've talked to him about this and you know the one thing is in peyton so these are his words he was like everyone thinks i'd be a great coach peyton doesn't actually think he'd be a very good coach and this is coming from him a lot of people, you know, forget this, but like late in games when they were blowing out teams in the preseason or whatever, Dungy and Caldwell would let him call plays for Sorgi or for whoever. And Peyton's like, I was terrible, man. Like, I thought I knew the offense and I could do whatever I wanted. And I could when I was on the field. But when it was someone else, 
it really turns him off of the idea of coaching. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why he doesn't want to coach because he can't control it like he could on the field. It would be different as a head coach. I understand that, but I, I don't think he's going to coach at all in this league. And from a manager perspective, I don't, I don't think he's going to come back and work for the Colts at all, Jake, to answer your question. I think part of it is what you said about the legacy and, and stuff like that. I also think he really likes what he's doing, which is kind of a little bit of everything. And like you said, He's not losing. Like, he's not losing games. His legacy is not getting hurt at all by what he's doing. And he's kind of just this ambassador to football. Like, what a, what a pretty good job if you can get it. I think it's really hard for p- players that were great, instinctive players that know the game in and out. It's really hard for them that have an incredible drive and work ethic. Right. It's really hard for them to coach because they then realize that they assume everyone is wired like they. Yeah, they're not going to meet their standard. Correct. And most are not. You can't. Can you coach that? Like, right. Can you really coach yeah, that? I don't think that's you can. Tough. Uh, Zach, before we let you go, just mapping out kind of the next week, I guess your expectation is some second interviews begin to happen kind of today, tomorrow over the weekend, and then with some championship coaching candidates, the teams yeah, we see they, on Sunday, yeah, early I, next week? I, there, nothing's going to happen until February. I know that in terms of a hire. So I would expect some requests to go out on Monday. That's the first time they can have a second interview with some of these coaches that are still coaching in these playoff games. And they've got requests out, or at least they talk to coaches from three of the four teams that are still in the playoffs. So they're not done yet, and... It's crazy. Their their finalist list, their second round list, is going to be longer than their initial list the last time in 2018 when they started this process. So I, they are interviewing everybody under the sun. I know we're up against it, but I'll let either one of you guys answer this for me. I just got a text. It says, Jake, I hate to always text only when I disagree, but you're saying fans have turned on Jeff Saturday, and that's totally wrong. I'm a season ticket holder, and I'm on Facebook. Uh, there's like three coaches that I would like to see. Saturday would be all right. Um, fans seem to be very pro Jeff Saturday. Your guys' thoughts? Can't say I've been tagged in those tweets. Yeah, I think he's on an island. I'm not saying I haven't seen one or two, but I'm, I'm thinking it's, it's about 95 to 5 right now in favor of the opposite. Zach, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Zach Kiefer, Payless Liquors Hotline. Jake, to that point, I think Nate Atkins from the Star did a poll yesterday on Twitter earlier this week. I think it was 93% were against the hiring of Saturday. Um, yeah, just by just kind of a rough estimate of people I see on Twitter, I'd, I'd probably say 8 out of every 10, 9 out of every 10 are against it. And I get it. When you go to a restaurant and you have a bad meal, you get on the comment section on Yelp. When you go and it's the greatest thing ever, you don't really tell anybody about it. I get it. People that are negative are more vociferous. There's no doubt about it. But, I mean, there's a fan petition that the newspaper's covering. I mean, Mark, what would you say? It was like over 1,200, over yeah, uh-huh. over 1,200 signatures and less than... 24 hours. Uh, just to reiterate, again, head coaching search. We're going to get a little bit more into Jero Avera, who reportedly is coming in for a second interview. Uh, that comes up in about 15 minutes. Nick Cosmider from The Athletic is going to join us. Uh, but what we're looking at here is Avero, Raheem Morris, Jeff Saturday, potentially Dan Quinn coming in on Saturday for second interviews. All those guys can interview at any point. They, their respective seasons are over. From this weekend... The three offensive coordinators, Brian Callahan, Eric Bieniemy, Shane Steichen, they all could interview as early as Monday with that second interview and any time next week because 
Uh, the Colts have already interviewed them initially. D'Amico Ryans with the 49ers, that is the one that they cannot talk to until the 49ers season is over. So he's a strong candidate in my eyes. I think uh, you should be rooting for Philly if D'Amico Ryans is going to be open to chatting with the Colts because if they make the Super Bowl, that can't happen until February 13th. We'll also sneak in a pop quiz here in a few. Morning Checkdown. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. College basketball last night. Indiana getting the win in Minnesota as they end on a 7-0 run. Trace Jackson Davis, 25-21. and 21. Boards, Miller Cop added 11. Providence all over Butler, 79-58. Northern Iowa over Valpo, 77-66. It was Belmont besting Evansville and Purdue-Fort Wayne. Six better than the now three and nineteen and zero and eleven in conference. IUI Jazz. Speaking of Purdue tonight, they're up in Ann Arbor, five and a half point favorite against Michigan. Again, Purdue undefeated on the road in the Big Ten. Thoroughly impressive resume uh, to this point in the season. Zach Eady, Hunter Dickinson, a fun big man matchup there. Last year, you saw Dickinson. Um, you hit some perimeter shots. So that'll be something to keep an eye on tonight. It's a nine o'clock tip from up there. Jake, last night, uh, the Pacers continued their issues on the road. It's been over a month since they've won a game away from Gamebridge Fieldhouse. They never led, gave up 46 in the first quarter uh, to the Magic. They made a couple of threatening comebacks, but again, never got over the hump there. Gary Harris, 22 points for the Magic. The Fishers native, a perfect 6 of 6 from behind the arc, a season high there. A couple of Pacers-centric notes from that game. Benedict Matherin, 26 points. A four assist and no turnover. So I think you like that last part even more than just the consistency he continues to give scoring wise. And then Miles Turner went down late in that game, right foot, right ankle, a potential injury. No real update on that, uh, but something coarse to monitor. As Scott Agnes told us last hour, the different foot from the stress reaction he's dealt with each of the last two seasons. But with the trade deadline coming up, in two weeks, considering how last year's trade deadline went after a Turner injury, uh, that update will be worth monitoring today. Uh, your chance at a Jiffy Lube oil change is next, because before we go to Denver to talk about one of the coaching candidates for the Colts, we'll do the pop quiz. 239-1070 is the telephone number if you'd like to participate, and we would love for you to call to try to do exactly that. Pop quiz is next. Have you studied... Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. That answer to number two, you talk about a guy that could fill it up in college and for however long his NBA career was. Kind of a quickly forgotten about guy. Yeah, I would agree. On that. All right, we're going to get a look at Ajero Vero, the head coaching candidate from the Broncos, coming up in about 10 minutes. But for now, it is the pop quiz. Jake, a number one through eight. Uh, I'll go with two. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Jeffrey, what's up? Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I got it. <clears throat> oh, that's what uh, – didn't Jack Buck say that once? <laughs> no, he said, I can't believe I don't what believe I just saw. Just saw. Okay, yeah, that's I can't what believe you picked me. I mean, hey, I, it's been a year since I had the pop quiz. So. so you've called this program before, obviously, Jeffrey. Oh, yes. Okay. You, have, you have a decent voice, by the way. Great voice. Oh, thank you. Have you done voiceover work? No, I was told that when I was really young that I should have 
gone into radio, and uh, there's times when I wished I had. But <laughs> trust me, um, stability. But I love you guys. You, you probably yeah. had good radio or good career stability, which is good financially as well. Uh, uh, Je- Jeffrey, uh, <laughs> yeah. before we get to the pop quiz, your favorite athlete of all time is who? My my favorite what? Your favorite athlete of all time is who? Uh, probably Roger Brown. Oh. Jeffrey, who's your all time favorite? Tells me about Roger who's your favorite like dream date? Like, what woman is the one that you're like? You know what? That is the one that I just always had a crush on. Your celebrity crush all time is who? Uh, probably. Uh, that's a tough one. Probably Bo Derrick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I'm really hoping he'd say Susie Colbert. Nothing I mean, wrong with that. You can't get better than 10, right? <laughs> no, you're right. No, you're right. All right, Jeffrey, would you like for me, that would be Jake, or for Kevin to lead you off? <laughs> I couldn't care less about the team struggling. Would you like- I want to kiss you. <laughs> well, Which one? well G- I know uh, I was related to uh, some queries, so I'll... I'll- Wait, but you're related yes. to some queries? Family, yes. we got blood here. Hold on, hold on, Jeffrey, hold the how phone. How did you not lead off with that? Yeah, you buried the lead here, Jeffrey. Uh, how That's are so you much re- for the Denver guy? We're not getting to him. How are you related to some queries? Well, um, my cousin was um, Jake and or um, Jim and uh, Treva Query. Query and uh, yeah, they're at the reunion every year. What part of Indiana are they from? Are they from like Spencer, like Owen County, or are they from up around Noblesville? Uh, well, they always lived on the south side of Indianapolis, so I'm not sure okay. where. All right. Well, there was a family split years ago over a drunken brawl at a reunion in the 1900s. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. The- Jeffrey, I've seen a lot of desperate attempts to get clues on the pop quiz. <laughs> Saying that you know some queries probably stands Hell above yeah. the rest. So, great work on that. Jake's going like to do that. a 23 and me at the break. Here we go for question number one for you, Jeffrey. Top-ranked Purdue is in Ann Arbor tonight to face the Wolverines. Purdue leads the all-time series 90-75. to But who has the better record between the two teams and their last 10 games against each other and also is on top of the other on a map? Purdue or Michigan? Purdue. You do know some queries, don't you? That is family. Jake's ac- academic record holding up true here. <laughs> Number two, Benedict Matherin scored a game-high 26 points off the bench in the Pacers' loss last night. He currently has 19 20-point games off the bench this season, tying him for the second-most 20-point games off the bench since the NBA began listing starters in their box scores in 1970-71. Name the rookie with the most 20-point games off the bench in Guy with NBA two first names. history. A, Ben Gordon, Jeff Ruland, C, Patty Mills, D, Tyler Hero. Mm, what was the last one? Tyler Hero. Man with two first names. This guy played at UConn. Okay. Um, mm, boy. Fisherman. That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Ben Gordon, Jeff Rulin, Patty Mills, or Tyler Hero? It's probably the first one. I think uh, Rulin. Okay, uh, question three. Damian Lillard scored 60 points in Portland's win over the Jazz last night. The 14th time in his career that Lillard had scored 50 or more points in the NBA game. That puts him in a three-way tie for sixth all-time. One of those he's tied with is LeBron James. The other has three sons that played in the NBA, and he shot free throws underhanded. Elgin Baylor, Rick Barry, Allen Iverson, or Stephen Curry? 
Uh, Allen Iverson. Oh, okay. I don't believe what I just saw. <laughs> All right, number four, Jeffrey. Joe Burrow, 5-1 in his postseason career. The lone loss coming last year in the Super Bowl. Burrow has also won all three road playoff games he has played in. Name the other Bengals quarterback who has won a road playoff game. Ken Anderson, Andy Dalton, Boomer Esiason, or is Burrow the only one? Well, it popped in my head Boomer Esiason, but uh, probably not right. But <laughs> <laughs> correct. Yep, okay. you are. You are. You are right on that. Why uh, stop now? Your guess will be. Uh. Boomer Esiason, I guess. Okay, last one for you. Continue the streak. Super Bowl Twenty was held on this day in 1986. That was the Bears over the Patriots. What bear whose last name is something that you get in the hood of your car after a hailstorm was the MVP. He later played for the Colts. He was a defensive end, and his initials are R.D. Richard Dent. Heck yes! Finishing strong, Jeffrey. I was really hoping he'd say Rick DeMoling. <laughs> Hope that you walked him to water. Man. Wow. Finishing strong. Man, can't wait to be at the Quarry family reunion for that discussion. All right, better record between Purdue and Michigan. Yeah, it's the one that's north on the map, Michigan. You blew it! Ben Gordon, Rick Barry, Joe Burrow's the only one, and Richard Dent. We're going to Denver next. Jake Ajero Vera, I, I guess I hope I'm saying that right. It's kind of been the pronunciation I've gone with here in the last couple of weeks. He was the first outside the building interview. Bubba Ventrone was the first overall interview. And then um, Vera was second. And it sounds like he will be coming in for a second interview with the Colts to get a little bit more background on him. We head to the Payless Slickers hotline. Nick Cosmider from The Athletic joins us. Nick, I guess let's start there. And by the way, thank you for the time, especially early. On this Thursday morning, um, am I saying that right? Ejero Avero? Um, Ejero Evero um, is, Evero. is sort of how we've come to know that his name is pronounced. <laughs> but um, yeah, it took it took us all out here um, uh, just a, a little bit to get that right. But yeah, Ejero Evero, um, you know his players and, and fellow coaches called him E. Um, so that, that, that's oftentimes what he went with was coach E, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's the pronunciation. How about E squared? Extra syllable there. I need there to you throw go. in for yeah, the last name. You guys could, you guys could, um, if he ends up out there, you could kind of, uh, help him, help him get that marketed and, uh, get rolling on that. Nick, when it comes to coordinators, I, I always get a little bit fascinated by this that are coaching candidates. You know, it's probably tough for some of us to sit there and look at it and know how much of like the X's and O's they're coming up with, you know, that kind of thing. Do you believe that he's a candidate because Indianapolis and other franchises, for that matter, really see him as like an X's and O's game plan schematic type whiz? Or is it more so being able to assess just overall leadership, confidence and rallying guys type ability? Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think that's a the great question, and you know, I, I think it starts the basic foundation of it, right? Is that he, you know, he kind of runs this this too high safety defense that you're seeing a lot now um, in the NFL. That that was sort of that Vic Fangio um, was the godfather of, and um, you know, Ejero Evero worked for Vic Fangio and, and has a just kind of a really impressive um, lineage of coaches that he has worked for, right? Monty Kiffin. Dom Capers, Vic Fangio, um, you know, Wade Phillips, uh, Raheem Morris, uh, some of some of the, you know kind of the great defensive minds of the last 
you know, 20, 25 years, uh, Evero has gleaned from these guys. So I think that's some of the first things that you see is, okay, this, this guy has this tree that he's gained a lot. Um, they looked at the performance with, with Denver. Um, you know, it was their best season defensively um, since that great 2015 Super Bowl team uh, and the defense that they had. And um, and so I, I think that that's sort of where it starts the evaluation. But um, I'll tell you guys, I've I've covered the, the Broncos for for five seasons. I've covered the Nuggets for three seasons before that. Um, I don't think I've been as impressed with an assistant coordinator or assistant coach slash coordinator um, in my time doing this than more so than I was um, with Evero. Uh, he's just very direct in his communication. Um, you know, he doesn't. You know, guys know what they're getting with him. Um, he's accountable. Um, you know, the, the first one to point out uh, mistakes that he makes in the team room, which which really I think galvanized players um, a lot. Sort of helped him build that trust early. Um, so he, so he's a really big relationship relationship builder. Um, you know, kind of across the building. And I think it says something that you know this is a guy that was part of you know something of a of a train wreck overall for the Broncos. Right, a five and twelve season that. That ended with you know uh, the head coach who Nathaniel Hackett who was a good friend of Evero's getting fired after 15 games and yet you know every single team in this cycle uh, requests an interview with him because I think the, the, the defensive performance to your point but also um, he's I think becoming well known as a guy who is um, you know a, a really good leader and and you know really resonates with players. Yeah, I mean only one year as a coordinator in the NFL um, something has to stand out outside of that and boy it does seem like he's very impressive I went back watched a couple of press conferences and and you're struck by that certainly from him again Nick Cosmider is with us here from the athletic um, Agero Evero is the Colts head coaching candidate coming in for a second interview we're getting a little bit more insight into him Uh I know maybe this isn't the number one most important thing from a head coaching standpoint, but he ran a, kind of a three-four scheme. Is that correct with Denver? Yeah, he did. Um, yep. Again, so sort of that that um, three-four scheme with um, you know with the two high safety look. He had a pair of veteran safeties in, in Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson. But I but I think one of the things that I noted um, you know with him and talking to some of the players after the year is guys who have had good seasons in this league felt like they they developed quite a bit under under Evero. Uh, and Justin Simmons is a perfect example, right? This is a guy who has been an all-pro. He's one of the best safeties uh, in the NFL. Well, he, he set a new career high this year with six interceptions, and that was despite missing five games. Um, you know, he, he said he just, that, that Evero kind of um, really helped him see a game, a game in, the game in a new way. Um, you know, just sort of felt like he simplified things a lot for him and, and allowed him to be in places to make, to make more plays. And so, you know, you see a guy that's already had success, um, you know, sort of say, Hey, that this just opened up a whole new, a uh, whole new Avenue for me. Um, you know, obviously helped Pat Sertan, um, the great young cornerback, um, become a unanimous all pro here in his second season. Um, so I, I think that was the other part of it. Guys had some of their best career years individually uh, under his guidance. Yeah, and again, I point that out. Colts have been a 4-3 scheme in the Chris Ballard era, so um, it would be a, quite a defensive change. And again, um, Evero could be a defensive coordinator because there's no guarantee, obviously, he returns to Denver with the firing of Nathaniel Hackett and that staff. As far as that opening is concerned, um, was he a realistic candidate? And you know, does it appear the national chatter of David Shaw and Sean Payton as the favorites? Are you hearing that as well? 
Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, that he was offered the interim job um, when Nathaniel Hackett was fired and, and he turned down that opportunity. I think largely out of, again, loyalty to, to Hackett, the two were, you know, were college teammates, um, you know, have been, you know, best friends for, for years. And so that was something of a unique situation. And, and I think that that might ultimately, um, you know, kind of create, not I wouldn't want to say a division here, but that might be what ultimately has him looking um, for other opportunities, even if he doesn't land a head coaching job. Um, but here, I, I think you know it's been a very interesting search here. Uh, the, the Broncos last year, you know, that they were kind of like the Colts. They interviewed ten candidates. Um, they were very public about who they were interviewing and when. You know, covering a lot of their search on on social media this year um, with a new ownership group in place and a much tighter um, coaching circle. I think only three, um, three uh, people are involved in the search committee. Um, there's been a lot less, a lot less information that has sort of leaked out. I think at this point, um, D'Amico Ryans is a guy that I think that the people should really kind of keep an eye on. Again, the Broncos haven't scheduled any second interviews, um, known second interviews to this point. Um, and, and he's a guy that can't be talked to until after Sunday's NFC championship game. Um, you know, so there's some dot connecting going on there. You mentioned David Shaw. There's a lot of connections, um, with this ownership group, um, and Stanford, right? Uh, Greg Penner, the CEO and his wife, Carrie Walton Penner, were both, um, you know, went to graduate school there, have been on boards at Stanford, uh, Condoleezza Rice, who is a limited shareholder in this ownership group and as part of the search committee, um, knows David Shaw very well. So, so that, that has kind of been, um, you know, a, a name that people are kind of looking at here as well. And then, and Peyton, until, until he actually chooses what he's going to do, it, it seems like everywhere he's kind of a guy outside of Indianapolis, um, where you say maybe he's going to end up there. So it's, it's, it's been an interesting ride. Uh, you try to get every little drop of information um, that, that you can, but uh, hopefully we'll know soon. Nick Kosmider is our guest. He's on the Payless Ziggers hotline. He is a Broncos writer for The Athletic out in Denver. Nick, when you look at, you know, realistically, the team that we're talking about here and the team that you're covering there uh, are kind of in similar situations because you're watching these other AFC teams with promising young quarterbacks and you're wondering where the lane is going to open up for you. Who is more screwed at quarterback, the Colts that are going to have to start from scratch or the Broncos that are going to have to hope that Russell Wilson can reinvent himself? Well, I've commiserated with my colleague, who you guys know well, Zach Kiefer, out there in Indianapolis. We, we've sort of shared notes as the season has gone on. Um, uh, of course, the, the Colts came out here uh, in Week Five, uh, played that just ugly Thursday night game. Horrible. My eyes are uh, still the game bleeding. that broke out Michaels. Yes, <laughs> scars <laughs> in my eyes. Shall it forever be known? Um, you know that that's a great question. I mean, everything that the Broncos sort of do this offseason um that that's that's sort of the number one question is can they can they fix russell wilson the 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 hope against hope uh here in denver is that his first season in a broncos uniform um you know was an anomaly and and right now given that he was fired after 15 games and it was the worst offense um the broncos have had in years um it's sort of you know kind of in vogue to pin it all on on nathaniel hackett right um, you know, especially when you look at, hey, the last two games, the Broncos averaged 28 points. Um, they had a more kind of, you know, cogent offensive game plan, you know, built on the run and play action. And maybe you get a, a veteran coach in here that, that can kind of rein Wilson in and, and, and create just a, sort of a more logical game plan. You know, it's going to have to be shown. Um, you know, Wilson, I, I think there's some obvious declining mobility and if he can't bounce back in a, in a, in a pretty real way, I don't think he's ever going to be a top 
you know, eight guy that, that you sort of paid for. I think at this point they got to settle for him being maybe a top 15 to, to 18 quarterback and continue to have a good defense. Um, but but the, the book is out. If, if Russell Wilson looks like 2022 Russell Wilson again, it's going to go down as one of the worst trades in league history because you're not getting any, you know, you're not getting anything close to the value that you gave up in order to get him. And because of the contract extension that he signed last September, it also is going to really pinch your salary cap if he's not actually the answer at the position. So it remains to be seen. I, I think the, the benefit of the Colts, right, is that you, you, you get to keep trying things. There, there's, there, there's, there's sort of that, that you know, optimistic possibility that you're going to get it, going to get it right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think both teams have, have major concerns, and it's a hold-your-breath kind of offseason at the, at the most, position, most important position in sports. Nick, we only have about 30 or 45 seconds left. Is Peyton Manning involved at all with input on this head coaching search? To our knowledge, no. Um, which to me is kind of is kind of a surprise. He was a guy that you know this ownership group kind of got to know early on. I, I wrote after their embarrassing loss on Christmas Day um, in in uh, Los Angeles that this, this team needs to see about Peyton Manning's interest in having a, a significant role. We know he lives in Denver. Um, you know he's expressed. You guys know he's sort of. We don't can't really pin him down about what his future plans are with this league, but you know he's going to continue to be involved. Uh, but to this point, um, there's we, there's no kind of known knowledge of uh, Peyton Manning being involved in this, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's, he's been talked to in some way behind the scenes. But as of right now, he has no um, you know real official role with it. Nick, we're up against it, but never forget, the Broncos have yet to win a Super Bowl with a quarterback that wasn't drafted by the Colts. Appreciate the time, <laughs> man. Enjoy it, all right? Thanks, Thanks Nick. Appreciate it. Yeah. That's some great stuff. Nick Cosmeyer from The Athletic again waking up early with us on that front. Evero noted. Um, so we'll see the second interviews for the Colts. Jeff Saturday, Jero Evero, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn. Tonight, Purdue, Michigan, 9 o'clock. Looking forward to that. Zach Eady, Hunter Dickinson matching up. We'll see if we get a Miles Turner update from the Pacers. Everybody have a great Thursday. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Kevin Aquari signing off. Good day. Yeah, he's yeah. good. Very good. Two questions about Manny. Yeah, I, I just, you know how our audience is. Well, it's interesting because the answer he gave is pretty on par, like he said. Mm-hmm.